Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Well, let's start with the good news. I owe, I owe really four people huge thank yous. Okay? Valerie Decker, who is the each year when we do the, the numbers game for the Indy 500 and the NCAA tournament, we have yet to do either in this program, of course, but she is always the official numer- numerological assignment person. Uh, Valerie, who works from home, was kind enough to work from my place for the last week so that Boo, my cat, had companionship during the course of the day, which was nice, huge, right? And and my sister as well helped out in that endeavor. And then I guess I thank Boo because he didn't burn the apartment down. I, I got home and everything looked A-OK. And then I should thank the two of you because I came in today and the studio is still here. Like everything, I, I, I guess, you know, you guys obviously are capable and fully, you probably didn't miss me at all. The company was able to stay afloat, Jake. Exactly. The company, I did not get anything about like chapter 11, nothing, right? Everything's up and running. Well, Stock you, prices were up and down a bit, but we stabilized. <laughs> well, so, you I see, mean, you wouldn't receive anything simply because we don't have an HR department. So that's correct. There's that no de- right. complaints to go to the chairman of the we board. We don't have a 401k department to tell what our stock dividends are <laughs> at this point, right? But we do have correct. the shareholder, Stephen Holder. Uh, good afternoon to you. It is. Now, you guys remind me because I'm completely thrown off. It is Wednesday, correct? Yep. Okay. That it is. Today is Wednesday, and it is absolutely gorgeous. I literally, I walked out, and I'm like, because... When I was out of town for the last week, and thank you guys for holding down the ship because there's a lot to talk about today, including obviously the Colts, which we'll get to. Big day in college basketball, Purdue with signing day today, and Indiana as well. I mean, all schools have signing day, but Purdue really uh, hauling in some pretty good loot in that area. Rafael Davis, the former Boilermaker, will join us in the 2 o'clock hour to talk about that. Uh, We can talk Pacers as well as, you know, coming off of – that performance, and I know you guys have talked about it, with San Antonio and what they did against Web Miyama. So all of that kind of blends together for me. And then um, I know there's probably nothing left to be said about Bob Knight, but I'll, I'll touch on that just a little bit in a minute. But um, when I left on Tuesday, we, on a trip that was planned like a year ago, went to Amsterdam. My I mentioned this the other day. My a bucket list life goal of mine always from the time that I read the diary of Anne Frank was to visit the secret annex where the Frank family hid from the Nazis during World War II. And that's in Amsterdam. So we went to Amsterdam and we left, we flew out of here and then Tuesday night flew out of Philadelphia. So the flight out of Philadelphia was like at 10 o'clock at night scheduled to land in Amsterdam at like 10 o'clock the next morning. Cause you have the time difference. We get on the plane and they're like, you know, we might actually make this flight in under six hours. And I'm like, really? From Philadelphia to Amsterdam in under six hours? So we get on the plane. Everybody, they kind of let us spread out. We each kind of had our own row, which was good because there weren't, it wasn't a full flight. And we made it in under six hours, like five hours and 50 minutes or something like that. And then I read an article when we got to Amsterdam that the transatlantic winds on, on Halloween night literally i kid you not were like record setting in terms of the speeds apparently the flight we were on and i'm not exaggerating was like 30 miles below the speed barrier we did over 700 miles an hour on average wow 
all commercial flights did because the winds were so strong, which is fabulous, right? The only drawback to that is that means that we woke up Wednesday and there was what they call the cyclone bomb, like in France and England, and it came over Amsterdam and it's it was like Forrest Gump. We had sideways rain, upside down rain. <laughs> it rained the entire time. But Amsterdam was fabulous. Then we went to Brussels and then we went to Luxembourg and it was a fabulous trip. Um the Anne Frank House, I, I, I will say this. I know it's a sports show, but I want to add this as well. Um, when I, I know a lot of people probably are like, why would you go over there? You know, there are a million things to do in Amsterdam beyond obviously the Anne Frank House. But when I was in the eighth grade and we read the diary of Anne Frank, one of the things that always jumped out at me, did you guys read that in school? Either one of you? Mm-hmm. Um, she talks, Anne Frank does, about how at nighttime actually in the day as well when they could move around but she would go up into the upper level the attic of the attic if you will and there was a window there and she could look out that window and that was their only glimpse into the outside world and she would occasionally see birds or an airplane um and that was her only glimpse as to from the outside world and when you go through the annex you go through it and it, which is incredibly powerful and amazing. And you go through it, and the last room that you go through is Peter's room, who was the the boy that was the family friend of the Franks that was staying there as well. And it has the ladder that goes up into the attic. And they have that sealed off with a glass, basically a glass floor of the attic. So you're looking up the ladder, and you can see the attic because it's a glass ceiling above you, but the ladder stops there. You, 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 you're not allowed to go up into That's the only level you don't go into. So we moved from that out of the annex, and then I stopped, and I'm like, you know what? And I thought about Anne Frank looking out that window, and I went back into the room and kind of jostled to the side of the ladder and looked up through the glass floor that showed where you can then see up into the attic, and we were there at night, but you could see the light and the window, and I could see the window that she looked out. And it was, truthfully, one of the more powerful moments of my life because you realize that here I am living a life that that I'm very, very fortunate afforded me the opportunity to go see that. And I'm going to see a place where a book opened my mind and opened my window into the lives of others and the plight of others. And then to go through all of that to see where that was the only look to the outside world that she was able to see before obviously they were captured and, and, you know, tragedy even further. But, and then you go from that room into, once you leave the annex, you go into this room that's probably the size of this studio, like the size of a typical family room in a house. And it's, it's dark and there's like a spotlight. And in the middle of that room is a glass case and you walk up to it and there sits the diary. It was, it was a very powerful, I bet. Um, but the trip was great. I appreciate you guys holding down the fort. I know you did a great job, and I know you had a lot to talk about because um, I guess I can uh, tip the hand to this now. And I want to thank you guys for um, delivering on this. Um, we knew for a long time, I think most people did, that Bob Knight was ill. I know it's a topic that that has been discussed thoroughly, but... To give an open disclaimer, I guess, to our listeners, 
So back in probably June or so, you know, I had through conversations with people known that Bob Knight's health was was very dire. And unfortunately, you have to start preparing for, you know, the last thing I wanted to do was if Bob Knight was to pass would be to call people the morning of his passing while they are in mourning. Hey, I'm sorry about your the loss of your friend or your coach or your, you know, but can you come on the radio? I, you know, it, there's just a there is a level of difficulty in that so back in about june probably i started calling a few people to say hey i know this is really uncomfortable and i don't know how to delicately approach this subject but i want to be prepared and i want to be respectful to your emotions if and when bob knight were to pass would you be willing to join and share your thoughts on the radio station and there were i won't say the names but many of them ended up coming on so at that point we as a station i had contacted a handful of people and then we as a station said let's start preparing for this and distributing the allocations of uh, of who which show gets which person and there was a lot of preparation that went into that I also wrote the piece that I guess you would say was his obituary for the website a while ago and contacted many, many people for that piece as well. That was incredibly well done, by the um, way. I really enjoyed well, that. Well, I mean, I, you know, thank you. I At the time that I wrote it, Jimmy, I remember thinking I had three days to write it, and that was in June. So that tells you how – kudos to Bob Knight, right? I mean, Bob Knight went out his way. Right? I mean, I, I would – you know, kudos to him. So I don't know that I need to opine about Bob Knight or his legacy because a, I wrote that piece. The piece was more just an obit of of who he was, right? But there's nothing that I'm going to be able to say that that has not been shared a million times over by now because it was gone. But I will say that, selfishly speaking, and maybe this is only for my own self need in saying this, but the first night that we were on vacation, I woke up in the middle of the night to use the restroom. Your body's all out of whack, you know, whatever else. And I looked at my phone to see what time it was, and I had 83, I think it was, text messages. And I'm like, what in the world? Well, there's a six-hour time difference. So it was like 6 o'clock over here or whatever. And, and you know, we at that point we were jet-lagged and everything else. And so that was when I found out that, that night had passed. And it was a very helpless feeling, truth be told, because I felt like – I wanted to be here to help everybody out. I wanted to be a team player. I didn't want to be – I didn't want to let down – not that listeners are, are counting on me for anything. I'm not saying that. But you want to know when you listen to a radio program that that person you're listening to is invested and involved in in every story or interested in illuminating or sharing their their knowledge in, in any story that's that's in the mainstream. And there is there are few that are going to be bigger in the calendar year than the passing of a legend – from Indiana like Bob Knight so not being here for that selfishly speaking was difficult because I felt like I was professionally letting down my profession Uh, you know what I mean I felt like I wasn't delivering on on what it is that we are paid to do we get to have a lot of fun here but but to me you earn your money in the times when things are tough and you have to to balance the fun with the difficulty. I know you guys did that to a great, did a great job with it. You had everybody on and, and the station delivered in a huge way. And I think we'll continue to do so for people that are fans of Bob Knight. By but, the way, um, it took Eddie and I some time, but, uh, 
after a couple days, we were able to forgive you. I mean, I just, I just, I just, I just <laughs> let you know that. It, we, we had to talk to one another. There were long phone calls, but we ultimately well, decided to forgive you. So. And, of course, the fact that it was, I believe, on a Wednesday. So there, there were two days, and then you had the weekend yeah. to kind of let it simmer yeah, a little we bit. We had some time. So, so you know. Um, but anyway, obviously a lot going on. And then the other big thing, too, that was funny is going over there, uh, met a really cool guy on the flight that was a huge – he looked exactly like Gary Brackett. He would played football at Hawaii and Ole Miss – that's an assignment for somebody out there, by the way, because I didn't get his name. Um, somebody Google and find a guy that was a linebacker that started at the University of Hawaii and then transferred to Ole Miss like around 2005, 2006. He was at the end of the June Jones era at Hawaii and then transferred to Ole Miss. He and his wife were super cool. I almost wish we could have hung out with them in Amsterdam a little bit, but he was. they were on their way to Frankfurt for the Dolphins-Chiefs game, right? And... Um, of course, now the Colts on their way to Frankfurt as well. Zach Kiefer saying apparently that it was cold there. If it was like it was in Amsterdam, it was basically in the mid-50s and raining the entire time. Um, but they saw a pretty good football game. This guy was a diehard Dolphins fan, and obviously they saw the Chiefs win that game and not the Dolphins. But um, knowing the show that we have lined up today, now, Jimmy, you want to run down from you what we have going on today here? Because I, I got in late and I'm jet-lagged. So we're going to talk a little bit of NBA uh, with Mike Vorkanoff from The Athletic. He's going to join us at 1230. Top of the one o'clock hour. Eddie, do we know if Nate is left yet or is he still he stateside? Okay. So Nate Atkins is still stateside, but he is headed over there to Frankfurt for Patriots Colts. We'll get his perspective on last minute things with the team before they go over there. And then Rafael Davis at 230 of the Big Ten Network is going to join us. A big night of college hoops the last two nights. Uh, obviously, Purdue takes care of business easily two nights Boy, ago against Samford. It uh, wasn't even a ball game. And then IU has their hands full with a very new team in terms of pieces that you're rolling with against a, a talented FGCU team. They're able to pull away late, but we'll get observations there and plenty of action around college basketball. We talked about this yesterday, Jake, but the upsets are already back. James Madison able to go into East Lansing two nights ago and that? take out Tom Izzo and company. Uh, I've missed And it. you know, the funny thing is, James Monroe is the better player. You know, James yeah. Madison. <laughs> yeah, right. Madison a little bit shorter, right? <laughs> exactly. And, and and don't even get me started. You know, Lincoln was out as the center. <laughs> uh, he's on IR. But, um, you know, in, in Indiana last night, I thought it's interesting because Indiana's going to have, you know, last night we saw clearly they've got some talent. Khalil Weir is a is a very good player, no doubt about it, and he got out to a great start. His his focus and his motor are things, not to use buzzwords, are things that are going to be a challenge for Indiana, I think, over the course of the year. Can they keep him focused one game to the next? Dana Altman at Oregon would be the first to tell you that that was an issue for him, right? Um you know, and then they get they get solid play, guard play down the stretch, which helps them win that game. That's a game, Jimmy, that you can look at as glass half empty or glass half full. Glass half full would be that Indiana was able to close a game like that late. Glass half empty would be that they were that they needed to close late in a game like that against Florida Gulf Coast, right? Yeah, I mean, there, there's plenty of both positives and negatives to take away from that. Uh, the freshman sensation especially of his defensive play and, and hyped up for a number of different reasons coming in and Gabe Cups looked solid at, at times when he was called upon obviously you had Xavier Johnson out there as well uh, yeah I mean I'm, I'm excited to see how the pieces come together very early one game sample size I hope that they're able to take a I don't know if step forward is the right word but I would like to see as the season goes on I think we will more consistency from beyond the arc because in terms of your 
making the upset or crafting the upset, if you're a mid-major team or if you're a team that is in a matchup against a, a more prestigious school or maybe a higher-ranked school, when it comes tournament time, the way that game felt, and again, it's opening night, is, okay, the the lesser team on paper is out shooting us by like seven or eight shots from beyond the arc, and the turnover margin isn't necessarily going our way. It end up being in Indiana's favor, but there are aspects of that game that are worrisome early. There are also aspects of it where it's game one, there's a lot of new faces. You lost 60% of your scoring from a year ago. That can't be understated. And you're able to find a way to win late. So all in all, I'll, I'll take it as a positive. But yes, there is both a glass half full and glass half empty look at that win over FGCU. Now, one other thing that happened yesterday, uh, Eddie Garrison, who is the, of course, CEO of Quarian Company, opened a Twitter account for the company itself. Now, Eddie, one question I have. Okay. The Twitter handle is at Query, that's my last name, Q-U-E-R-Y, Yeah. underscore company. Does that mean that there was a Query company somewhere? Yes. Really? Yes. What do they do? Do we know? I didn't investigate. Is it a Logistic Questions Corporation? Let me- uh, Do they just question everything? Because that would be fitting, right? I don't know. This do you account- have a question? Call Query Company. Uh, well, is that what it is? This you is hilarious in its own right. The last tweet on Query Company- uh, was in 2013, and it was a GTA 5 promo code. Nice. There we go. They have one. Uh, they are following one account and have two followers. Can now you, there's, good. There's some sort of IT thing called a Jake Query. Did you know that? Uh-uh. The query means, Correct. the word query means a question. Yes. And there's some sort of a computer code that, uh, Jake is some sort of computer term. <laughs> and there is literally a company called Jake Query that like solves computer riddles. Can you but, use ampersands and Twitter handles? The little and sign? Are you able to do that? No. Okay, because I always said that would have been the you quickest to, solution. It has to be an underscore. Okay, so okay. here here's the tweet that was sent yesterday, or actually this morning. We're off and running with Query, Cook, Garrison. Plenty of Colts, Pacers, and college hoops to talk. Plus, we're giving away tickets for Creed. Okay, that's cool. Then earlier, coming up this afternoon, Jake is back from his vacation. Now, I'd like to know, who runs this Twitter account? Do we who, know? Who do you think is, runs the Twitter account? Is it a Twitter elf? Is it the Twitter fairy? <laughs> Do we know? It's not, our, it's, it's not our IT department. We don't have one. And it's not our HR department. We don't have one of those either. But it does say this. Will he come with gifts for Jimmy and Eddie? Hmm. Who knows? But we're talking Colts, Pacers, and College Hoops. Join <laughs> us at noon. That seems presumptuous. Now, is that because of my overall generous and gift-giving nature? Absolutely. Or is it because yeah. you are overall greedy individuals? Well, yes. Both could be true. I Okay. So... Because we're really going to get earnest in talking sports at 1230, and I know that we're supposed to talk sports right out of the box, and I apologize for that, but I've been gone for a week, so you know, work with me here. I will let you know. We went to Belgium. So we went to Amsterdam. It was fabulous. I didn't know this. Eddie, can you play the audio of the, the, the video that I sent you of the girl in the red light district? Can we play that on the air? Um, I'll have to... It'll take some time because I have to email it to myself. She and then doesn't pull it swear, up. but we went through the red light district in Amsterdam out of curiosity. <laughs> okay, and it actually is a, a cool area, and it's it, it's not like it's a seedy area of town. I mean, it's labeled and commercialized with like a sign overhead that says red light district, and you go through and it's packed. We're not talking about the video before the top hat, are we? No, no, no. 
We're talking about the the woman screaming at me. So I most of the places we went in Amsterdam, I at times would get out my phone while we were walking and just videotape like us walking around to to send to my family of like this is what it's like in Amsterdam. You can't go anywhere without somebody yelling at you for so, taking photos or right. taking videos. So so I'm in the red light district now. Who knew? I did not know. Apparently, it is like not necessarily. A, I, I guess actually you can be fined for it for shooting video in the red light district. Okay. So we're walking along, and I decide that I'm going to videotape the re- as, as we're walking the red light district. This, the, the the brothels, if you will, are on the side streets. So this is like the main dr- – so it would be like walking down Broderpool Avenue or Mass Ave, right? And there's bars and restaurants and whatever else, but it's all red. Everything's red. So we're, we're walking, and, and all of a sudden – and Shannon's like, I don't know if you're supposed to be videotaping. And I'm like, well, there's like – this is all tourists, right? <laughs> so all of a sudden I hear this. I hear – and I thought, oh, well, the, now these these women are aggressive in the red light district. I mean, that, you know, business is slow. Maybe I don't know economy, COVID. I don't know. So they I, saw you, right? And I'm like, well, you know, <laughs> what does that say? They're, they are clearly they're enjoying the fedora that I'm wearing. So we're walking along, and, and I turn with my camera. I turn like, whoa, like what? And uh, and apparently that's where I became alerted that it is that you are not to be videotaping. And Shannon says, and I quote, like, okay, you're on your own. And she immediately walks away. <laughs> the woman then opens the door to the little, like, window case that they're in and steps out. And, and I did turn the camera off fairly briskly because I was a little worried about a potential international incident. But she had this to yell at me. Are you sure? Yeah. Shannon's like, you can't take it. Here we go. <laughs> Did you hear, is that the whole thing? That was all. No, I thought I, you cut it off too soon. How stupid you! She's that was her banging and then coming out and yelling how stupid I am. Yep. Um. So at any rate, we I wanted to go to Luxembourg really badly. We rented a car in Belgium because th- th- there weren't there. It was a very it was a the, we took a train to Brussels, drove a car to Bel from Belgium to Amsterdam or to to Luxembourg. Excuse me. I want to know if anybody can help me with this. When I rented the car, you know when you rent a car and they go through it and they and they check off any blemishes on the car? Yep. So they they sent me the thing, and they, or they gave me the thing when I rented the car. They're like, here, it's got a scratch in the front, a scratch in the back. Here's your documentation that those are already pre-existing. I'm like, great. I literally drove it for two hours. To drive from Brussels to Luxembourg is two hours. I literally went point A to point, never got out of the car. Drove it right to the airport in Luxembourg, handed the keys to the guy, Thank you. Here's, you know, da da da. Get, <clears throat> I get back to my hotel and I get the email that says you're being charged 650, I think it was 650 or 700 euros for damages. And I'm like, no, no, no. The, the damages were already pre existing. Here, here, here's, here's the other sheet that shows you I, I brought the car with damages. It was given to me with damages. And they, I, I almost said the name of the company. I don't want to say the name of the company. But the rental car company domestically, it's an it's a big American rental car company. They won't they're like, Well, you've got to talk to the folks in, in Luxembourg. And I'm like, but Luxembourg is blaming Belgium, Belgium's blaming Luxembourg, and yet it's on my credit card. I don't know what to do. I mean, I would think there is a an international then, phone number or email address. I, I call that's what I'm saying. I called Luxembourg and they're like, You need to call Belgium. And I called Belgium and they said, You need to call Luxembourg. And then Shannon told me that because she's a travel agent, she's like, well, you know, if you block the charges, then they're going to claim that you're not charging them, and you go on a you go on a no fly list, and you can never rent a car again. And I'm worried about. I don't want to go on the. I don't want to go on the the rental car block list. I don't blame you. I'm worried about that, especially with how much you travel. Uh, no kidding, right? 
So, that said, I did bring gifts. Nice. Would you guys like your gifts now? I can do this incrementally. How would you like to do it? Eddie, you are the guy in charge. How do you want to do it? Uh, Let's do it incrementally. So you want the smaller gift first? Sure. Well, we have guests coming up, so you're going to have to wait because at 1230 coming up next, and then at 1 o'clock, Nate Atkins, so maybe an hour or so you guys can get your gifts. Save room in your tummies. I'll simply tell you that. Okay. All right. All right, we will continue on here on a gorgeous, beautiful Wednesday. Thanks for sticking out my travel stories there. It is Querying Company here, 93.5107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Two in a row at home for the Pacers. Tonight, the Utah Jazz. Tomorrow night, it is the Milwaukee Bucks at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Joining us now on the hotline to talk about the NBA, and he has a really interesting article that I think associates with the Pacers, and he probably is thinking, now, which one would I have had that associates with the Pacers? Mike Vorkanoff from The Athletic joins us, NBA writer. Uh, Mike, you had a really interesting piece a few days ago about the NBA franchises and their relationship to Bally Sports. Now, I don't know if you know, but in Indiana, it's been a huge talking point because Bally, you know, so many people have to actually buy the Bally, the additional service from Bally for like $20 a month just to watch Pacer games. And they've had all kinds of technical issues that has interrupted them from watching games that they're paying for. Um, where do things stand with Bally from their own economic standpoint and their relationship with the NBA? And then, of course, thanks for joining us. Hey, uh, happy to join you guys. Yeah, I, I was wondering where you were going to go with that. I wrote something about Tyrese Halliburton last year. I was like, is that is that what we're going to talk about? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, um, Diamond Sports, which owns uh, the Bally Sports RSNs, um, has been going through bankruptcy since March, uh, going through bankruptcy court, and they – uh, revealed in the court filing the other day that they have come to an agreement with the NBA. Uh, they have a term sheet in place that would basically give back the rights to both linear and direct-to-consumer uh, broadcast rights for the 15 teams that they have deals with after the end of this season. Obviously, the Pacers are one of them, right? Um, as you said, the Pacers broadcast on a Valley Sports Network. And so that kind of gave some finality to this huge uncertainty that's been weighing over the Pacers and 14 other NBA teams about where their games will air this year locally. Um, you know, because of everything going on with diamond sports right now. And so I know it's not a, I know, you know, indie fans aren't the only ones kind of going through their concerns with valleys and their gripes with valleys. I know the product hasn't been great in a lot of markets from what I hear. And so at the very least, this might all be over after this season. Um, it might not as well because they could sign a new deal, but it, there is in kind of a, a light at the end of the tunnel for some of the relationships and the uncertainty between the NBA and Bally. Just to clarify that, so is the thought that at the end of this season, teams will then have the choice if they want to re-up with Diamond Sports or go a different path? Is that kind of where things are trending? Yeah, so basically the best way I can summarize this, right? So at the end of the season – Every team that has a deal with a Bally Sports Network, there's 15 of them, um, they get their media rights back to air games within the local market and also to stream games. Uh, And obviously, 
they could still choose if they want to sign a new deal with the Bally's network in their market. So for Indianapolis, right? Like that could be something they choose to do. There's still a lot of money to be made uh, in selling your rights to an RSA. And the question obviously, because Bally's, because Diamond Sports is going through bankruptcy right now, it's will there be a Bally Sports network to sell it to next summer? Or will the Pacers or any of these other teams try to kind of move on to this new hybrid style of local broadcast that we've seen in Phoenix and in Utah already where there's a streaming app and where there's uh, over-the-air broadcast locally on just kind of a broadcast channel. And that's something that the NBA has been pushing towards and has been talking about uh, consistently, including Adam Silver, over the last year or so about just kind of going back to – going back to the future in a sense by having something on a free channel that airs uh, over the air on the broadcast channel. And then also fans have the option to buy uh, a streaming app associated with the team. So those are kind of a few of the pathways uh, that the Pacers or any of the other 14 teams could go. Mike, when you, in sticking with the Indiana Pacers, you've got another interesting piece about like the increase of three team trades in the NBA and how that's kind of more of a thing than it was you know, five, 10 years ago for a market like Indiana, where theoretically and trades, I guess the player doesn't necessarily have any, you know, ability to determine where they're going to go, depending on the level of player. But Indiana maybe has to be in terms of acquiring pieces more creative than other franchises, just because of some of the problems of just market size, weather, notoriety, et cetera. Is Indiana the kind of team that could get more involved as a cherry picker, if you will, with three team trades, if that makes sense, what I'm asking. Yeah. And they could, and it's not only just that, it's also, you know, they have, they have a pretty flexible cap situation at the moment, right? That's why they were able to get in on Bruce Brown and offer him such a big deal because they have some cap space. They have some flexibility that they can move with. And so when you have a good amount of cap flexibility at a time when, um, you know, there's so little of it for teams that are above, any of the first or second aprons, as well as, uh, you know, some of the costs associated with being over the luxury tax, it makes it a little easier for a team like the Pacers to get involved. Like, you know, that's why we see the the Thunder always get involved to some degree is because they have right now, at least not a lot of big salaries. Um, you know, they had been operating from a pretty relatively low payroll. And so now you see something like the Pacers where they kind of have the same amount of flexibility. And I think that's why you saw them, at least reported to be in trade talks when, you know, there's the Pascal Siakam situation going down, right? Like that's why they were able to get on Bruce Brown is that they have this kind of short-term uh, freedom to move a little more easily than if you're a team that's over the first or the second apron. And it's just so much harder to do deals because of all the different things that the CBA precludes those teams from doing. Late in the season, if Indiana, and I think they're still trying to massage through Buddy Heald's role, Mike. Mike Borkanoff is our guest from the Athletic NBA writer. Buddy Heald, I love him. I mean, I like him as a player. I don't know him as a guy. But by all account, he is a good team guy for Indiana. But I also understand that he probably, um, from a financial standpoint, wants more than what Indiana is going to be able to invest beyond this year. So if they were to make him like a trade deadline guy, what sort of pieces would Buddy Heald net back is he a guy that there are teams that would that would want or covet his services yeah there are definitely be teams that would want his services you know he's in the last year of his contract right so you don't have any long-term um responsibilities if you're a team that's trading for him he's got kind of a decent cap number now i think he's 
somewhere around 18 and a half, 19 million dollars, right? That you could uh, extend them for. You can now extend a veteran for 140 percent of their current contract, and, and that should be a decent number for someone like him if that's the way he wants to go. And obviously, he's also you know kind of a good player. Um, the question will be really what kind of return uh, can they get, and, and I think it's a little harder to say that right now. I think his teams kind of figure out um, what what these types of contracts are worth under the new CBA, right? And as I said, there's fewer, uh, there's rather more restrictions now for teams that are above the first and the second apron, which makes it harder for them to make deals to some degree. And those are the teams that are usually buyers. Uh, but I, I think there's definitely a possibility if the Pacers want to trade them, um, that there would be a market for them. Mike Vorganoff covers the NBA for The Athletic, taking some time with us here on Query and Company. Mike, how long before we know if the in-season tournament has been the success that the NBA hoped it would be? Is it already that because it's being discussed pretty heavily when those games appear on the schedule, more so than an ordinary regular season game probably would have been? Or will it take one run through until we get to the final in Vegas in December? Yeah, I think it'll take more time. Uh, you know, obviously, like the initial interest is is valuable, but it's just one night and one weekend, right? Um, let's see what the ratings are for the semis and the finals in Vegas. Uh, let's see how much fans are into it. You know, let's see how much uh, players are into it. I, I think the NBA has already said, you know, that this is going to be kind of a multi-year project for them and trying to see what the success of it is. Also, let's see uh, what the situation is like in the summer of 2025 after they make their next round of media rights deals and if they're able to sell that off as part of a new media rights package to uh, a streaming network or whoever, right? And if they can do that for a big number, then I think it's easier to call it a success uh, based on just the revenue they'll have coming in and not just whatever the, the fan interest may be. If this directly leads to profits and to larger revenue base, like that's a win. Mike, I am in no way, shape, or form under the impression that Daniel Tice is, you know, Nikola, Nikola Jokic, right? But <laughs> but I do think that he is a guy that probably is a better player than DMP coach's decision every night. That Maybe that's just rotation in Indiana. Um, but I thought he had a, a good offseason. I think he has an element to his game that Indiana could use, truth be told, but I'm not Rick Carlisle. Um He's another one. Would he would he net any interest elsewhere if they decided to flip him, or are they pretty much going to write out his contract and that's that? Yeah, I mean it's harder to get something for him, right? He's older. He's not like if he's having trouble getting playing time on the Pacers, right? That kind of tells you about the the player that he is. That he can be a good big off the bench, but he's not necessarily someone you try to trade a first round pick for. Yeah, I mean I get that, but like I, I'm I'm a little befuddled. Truth be told. And maybe I should know this because I go to games and I, and, you know, we cover Indiana. But I'm a little miffed as to why he hasn't seen the floor at all because I do feel like he does he does have some game left in him. Yeah, he does, and I think he played. Uh, if I remember, he played well enough for Germany over the summer too, right? As they won the gold medal. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think probably look, Indy has Miles Turner at center. They have, um, you know, Isaiah Jackson as well, and like. They play fast, so it's hard to play two bigs at once. So it's just, you know, a bit of a of a problem trying to find uh, room and space for him. And then, you know, as someone who's a veteran who they don't have a long term commitment to, uh, as well, you know, that that kind of, you know, there's no tiebreaker for him uh, to win out when it comes to playing time as well. 
Mike, we are 100 days from NBA All-Star Weekend here in Indianapolis. I know what the pulse in the city is. We're all excited, can't wait for it. What's the pulse around the league as they get right at 100 days before NBA's greatest showcase arrives here? Uh, I, I think I think everyone maybe is hoping it won't be as cold as it was in Cleveland a few years ago. Um, you know, Midwest All-Star game. But I, I think the All-Star game is going to be fun. I think this year is going to be fun too, right? you got the return to the East versus West, and the league is obviously hoping to juice the All-Star game and get some interest back into it, have a good game after a few lackluster ones. So I think that's going to be the big question for uh, the Indy All-Star game is like, will this be a good All-Star game again? Can this be a weekend that reboots the game itself and makes it fun and interesting after a few games where it just seemed like there wasn't much effort uh, and there wasn't much interest from the from the fans either. Mike, I know what the local thought process is regarding the state of the Indiana Pacers. And I don't mean of the franchise. I just mean of the team itself in terms of how people see them, of their trajectory, and how people see them in terms of their overall competitiveness. But I want the national perspective. And the way that I best always ask this is, I want you to give me two to three teams that you think of in your mind in the same category as the Indiana Pacers right now in terms of like their market value in the league based on their roster, based on their sexiness, based on their style of play, etc. The three teams that you most – two or three that you most associate with the Indiana Pacers, go. That I most associate with the Indiana Pacers. Okay, this is going to be a tough one off the top of my head, but I, I think of them as a team that's got an interesting upside, that's got good young players uh, that I could see being – a you know, a consistent playoff team in a few years uh, and has some cap flexibility. It's hard to say what that might be. Maybe that's someone like uh, – they're further along than the Detroit Pistons are. Obviously, the Pistons have some talent. Um, I would say they're kind of in a similar situation to where the Brooklyn Nets are, right, like where they seem to be midway through some build with their own picks and some cap flexibility going forward. Uh, those are the teams that kind of come to mind. Maybe the Magic are interesting – uh, in a similar way, young and up and coming, those still some things to figure out going forward. But I think that's the perception of Pacers. It's just like they have talent. Tyrese Halberton is really, really good. Um, they have Benedict Matherin. They have their picks. They have cap flexibility. And uh, they're really fun and exciting to watch. And, like, that's a pretty good place to be. Now, is it true that the 2026 NBA draft actually is just entirely Oklahoma City? I think so. Yeah, I think they've just got <laughs> – I think maybe the Pelicans have a pick or something like that, but I think the other 29 are all I mean, it is humble. Like, you want to talk about a team that's loading assets. Oklahoma City's been loading assets now, like, since the land rush, right? I mean, it's unbelievable how many picks they have. Yeah, I think when the NBA expands, it's just going to be another Thunder team. Like, that's all it is, just to make room for them to have all their picks go somewhere. Okay, Mike, before we let you go, because I think this is of critical importance to this market. NBA expansion – how many teams do you think ultimately, let's say between now and 2040, so in the next, you know, we'll say 15, 17 years, the NBA will expand to how many new markets? Between now and 2040, I, I think just two. Okay, and that would um, be, I'm assuming, I mean, you've got the, the, the three that I've always thought would be in play in no particular order, Seattle, Vegas, Nashville. Is it, are those two, are two of the three that you're talking about in that group, or do I have the two of them? Yeah, I think Seattle and Vegas are the two best, you know, cases for a new team, for an expansion team. Like, I would say they're the front runners. 
and I think that if the NBA goes to new markets, it'll be those two. I think what it's been 20 years since they last added a team in that time, I think only uh, major league baseball has added one team and uh, the Texans in the NFL are a new team there. And, and hockey has added one team as well, I believe. So it's not as if like there's a lot of teams coming into each league for every 20 year period. It's, it's hard to get owners to agree uh, to open the doors for new teams and then to find cities that are viable and that make it worthwhile. So I, I would put it at two and, and find that to be a pretty uh, conservative you know, answer. And like probably this isn't something where you want to bring in a lot of new teams because you don't want to dilute not only. Well, could we, uh, could we be talking relocation? Yeah, but it's harder now to move a team. It's really hard to relocate, a, I think, a team because just the economics of all this have changed, right? Mo- at least in the NBA, like, pretty much every team is profitable now. Uh, and if you're profitable, why do you want to move? To be more profitable. Yeah, but they're in big markets now. What big markets out there? Let's say you go to Seattle and Vegas. What huge markets out there uh, are there out there that don't have a team? Well, I- Not to mention the relocation costs that you're going to have to pay, which is a lot of upfront money, right? Um, you know, the obviously local broadcast. I'll tell you why I bring it up, Mike. I, I, I don't have anything concretely to base this on. I don't in any way, shape, or form think that the Indiana – I mean, I think the Indiana Pacers and the Simon family have been fabulous for the city of Indianapolis. I think they owe the city – I mean, they've, they've been great. They've been great partners. They've, they've absolutely jump-started this city some 40 years ago. But if there are – when there is eventually – the one thing you can never – ever rule out is the complications of inheritance tax once an owner passes and it then goes to the children you just from a business standpoint you know if a seattle or a vegas still has not been given an expansion i'm worried that somebody could come up with an ownership group that could buy the pacers that would offset the inheritance taxes that would take place amongst the passing on of the team yeah, well, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say two things, and like this is without any direct knowledge. Correct. Of, Same of here. I mean, situation. this is correct. Two things. Usually in this situation, like the family wants to keep that team in the in the family, um, and maybe if there's a decision to be made, it would be you know by his when his son takes over, and if that's something that he wants to do, then it would be him doing it probably rather than Herb Simon doing it now. Uh, and the other thing is, you know, I think we've seen consistently in the United States that really, really, really wealthy people find a way to get around taxes if they need to. And so I, I figured there's probably some plan in place to deal with the inheritance tax. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, again, I have no reason to believe that the Simons would not do everything in their power to keep the team here, but you just, I really want Seattle and Las Vegas to get teams as expansions. <laughs> Let's put it that way. You know what are I mean? You, are you worried about the Pacers leaving? Is this Honestly, this is not something I had heard of. That, uh, that no, I have concerned. nothing to base it on other than I am somebody that looks at precedent on things. And we certainly know in this town of late about massive sports franchises that you, or, or empires that you never thought would sell, but the inheritance tax got to the point where it was more beneficial to sell it than to maintain it. I mean, we saw it with the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, for that matter. And then the NFL team here is here because of a relocation. That was a stadium issue, totally different. I get that. Um, I don't have any reason, any inkling, any shadow to to believe that the Simon family at this time is is even thinking of that. But if, if there is a transfer of the franchise from Herb Simon to his son, who has, has stated numerous times that he wants to keep the team here, 
But again, I couldn't blame him if all of a sudden relocating the franchise became a more financially beneficial thing than the inheritance taxes of inheriting the team. I, that, that would be my only pause. Yeah, and I get that concern. I mean, we've seen in the, in the last few years where uh, the team owner dies and the team is sold, you know, but that's kind of a separate situation where it's put into a trust and there doesn't seem to be as much interest perhaps in running the team within the family after the owner dies. We saw that with the Broncos, right, um, where that was a situation where there was a trust and then a bidding process, but the team was obviously kept still in Denver. In Portland right now, you know, the uh, Paul Allen Trust still owns the Blazers and Jody Allen, his sister, is running the team. Uh, but those are separate situations, and, like, a trust is a totally different legal situation than if a team uh, is, you know, given from the father to the son and there's an inheritance in play as opposed to what's going on in those two cities. He's Mike Vorkanoff. You can follow him on Twitter at Mike Vorkanoff, national NBA reporter for The Athletic. Mike, always appreciate the time. Hopefully we'll talk to you within the next 100 days before NBA All-Star Weekend, but if not, hope to see you out here then in February. Yeah, I'm looking forward to Indian February. It's going to be fun. It's going to be 70 degrees, Mike. 70 <laughs> degrees. We're telling you right okay. now. Appreciate I, it, man. It's warmer than New York. I'll be good with that. That's right. Well, hey, if it's anything like the Super Bowl, guys, then we know that Mother Nature might shine upon big sporting events in Indianapolis. We shall see. All we know is two weekends that you want it to be nice. That's going to be the first, and then the other is going to be Memorial Day weekend. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Eddie, you said do this quickly. We have Creek tickets to give away. Is that right? Yes, sir. Okay, what caller? Uh, I don't care. Caller number one, two, three, nine, ten, seventy. How many tickets for Creed? Uh, we're giving away two here, and then we'll give away two more And Creed later. is when? Oh, I should probably have known that. It's at the field house. So we have two tickets for Creed no. to give away. August 10th at Ruoff Home Market Center. Okay, August 10th at Ruoff. Wow. Planning ahead. Way ahead, right. indeed. Okay, so if you want to go see Creed right now, call number one. We make it easy. 239-1070. Nate Atkins next. Nate Atkins is with the Indianapolis Star and is getting ready. Hopefully, he'll get the same tailwinds we got when I made it over from Philadelphia to Amsterdam in under six hours. Um, over 700 miles an hour, apparently, like record-setting speeds. It was awesome. Real quick, before we get to Nate, I want to let you guys know, because since Nate's gonna be, Nate is going to be over there, I was not far, especially when I was in Belgium um, and then into Luxembourg. We were not far from Germany. Um, German chocolate is a thing for sure. Obviously, Belgian chocolate is a big-time thing. I have no idea if Amsterdam or Holland is known for chocolates, <laughs> but... Only because these bars were so big. Now, one of these is... Uh, here's the thing. We're playing roulette here, okay? I have these two bricks of candy bars, right? I'm showing on the on the YouTube page. The YouTube screen. Sorry. Which camera would we point at? Gotta go one? wide shots since you're standing. Okay, sorry. Okay. I have Tony's Chocolonely. Uh, it looks like it says donkey milk. And then I have Tony's Chocolonely... Citron caramel. I don't know if that's like citrus caramel or what it is, but the wonderful packaging, isn't it? Jimmy, do you like caramel? Since since Eddie, going back to the uh, NBA over-under win total, since Eddie was kind enough to 
take the wizards. Eddie, I will let you choose if he's letting I you choose. I did not take the wizards. I got stuck. But but you with did it wizards. because of your own sacrifice. Correct. So I will allow you to choose. I will take the non caramel chocolate. Non caramel. Okay. I don't so like caramel. you like the donkey milk. Okay. Yep. There you go. So there you go, boys. Um, try those out and see what you think. Now, the reason I say this is because Nate Atkins is going to join us now. He's on his way to Germany, and we'll see what sort of chocolatier souvenirs he gets. I don't know if he likes donkey milk or not. Uh, Nate, you leave for Frankfurt when? I'm flying tomorrow at like 4 o'clock, and then I have a connecting flight, and I'll end up getting over there in Frankfurt, I think local time, at like 8 in the morning. Oh, yeah, so buddy. That, like have fun two, with that first day. My time, so. you've, you've done this yeah. before, right? Have you been to Europe? No, I've never done an international okay. game. Here's the key, buddy. Trip. Let me tell you something. So you're flying through where? You leave here at 4, and you go through what city? Uh, Atlanta. Okay, so you go to Atlanta, then the flight from Atlanta to Frankfurt's probably like seven and a half hours, eight hours, something like that. Um, you want to try to sleep on the flight. Then once you land, plug through until like, I don't know what your schedule is on that first day, but you plug through until like four in the afternoon, take like a two-hour nap, get up, go to dinner, and then get to bed by like nine or ten o'clock, wake up the next day, and you'll be on schedule. There you go. The plan sounds great, except the Colts don't want to jive with that. So our day starts at 4 p.m. <laughs> over there. So maybe I'll maybe I'll get a nap like at uh, I don't know one o'clock there. I don't know. It's, it's all going to be disorienting and kind of you know fly by the seat of my pants. I think. Well, here's the thing. Obviously, they are taking on the New England Patriots. You know, there's New England in its own right. It almost feels like not unlike you know the game with New Orleans was one of those that you felt like New Orleans had to have. And New England season is a wash, but, man, they are circling right now. Um, so, I, you know, I don't know how much national interest there will be in it, but I think it's intriguing for certain. Tell me, in your opinion, Nate, from the Indianapolis standpoint, the storylines that are most intriguing you about this game is what? Uh, for the Colts' point of view, I mean, I think the fact that this game's right before the bye week is going to tell us a lot about kind of what this team or a little bit about what this team has left so they had the three-game losing streak people got pretty down i feel like after that saints game uh just just seemed like people resetting expectations they beat the panthers but i've seen it, it didn't seem like that really lifted too many spirits it was more taking advantage you know with the two pick sixes against a pretty bad team and this game i guess you could say is, is similar in the fact that they're going up against a two-win team that as one of the worst offenses, but however you draw it up, if this team is five and five going into the bye week with everything they've had to deal with, I think at least sort of internally for sure, and probably at least a little bit externally, there's probably a little bit of feeling and at least the fact that you're in the mix, you can get to the bye week, you can try and reset a few things, get Juju Brents back, for example, uh, you know, and, and and then obviously you have to make some offensive strides. So kind of how it looks, I think, is going to mean something, but. You know, it's meanwhile if they're four, you know, if they lose this game and they're four and six, then they've lost four of five, and the one win was, you know, the one against the Panthers. Yeah, I think people start start writing it off pretty quickly. So it's not, you know, certainly if this team is going to, you know, make this year something, if they're going to contend, it's hard to look at this game and not think it's sort of a must win because it's hard to picture a team that can't beat this version of New England Patriots. And then falls to four and six, coming back from that in the AFC. Whereas if they're five and five, it may be sort of a you know not exciting five and five. But the main thing is within these buildings, they want to they want to feel like the math is on their side. They want to feel like some of the problems are fixable. Not all of them will be with the fact that Anthony Richardson's down for the year. But 
there's there's I think there's there's some uh, kernels of hope they can get out of the fact that they win this game. And so I think part of it too is when I saw about how it looks. If this is a game where they really get Jonathan Taylor going, and I feel like we say that every week, but if it's finally a game where that sort of plays out that way, you can start to think of this team as you know similar to the one they had in 2021, where you know quarterback play down the stretch was certainly a question, and they were a team that leaned heavily on the run, but they found ways to make it happen because Jonathan Taylor was so electric, you know, and enough enough else kind of went their way, and the math was on their side, and they kind of climbed out of a hole too, so. Uh, some of the key players on this team were you know, guys who were in that spot. And, of course, that team didn't end up finishing, but they had that chance going into the final couple weeks. This team wants to have that chance. The veterans on this team want to have that chance going the final couple weeks. And I feel like they'll have a better idea of if that's realistic at all based on how this Sunday goes. Colts beat writer for the Indy Star, Nate Atkins, with us on Query & Company. Nate, one of the age-old adages for Bill Belichick, especially at the height of his powers, was he's able to take away what a team does best offensively and make you find other ways to beat them. If that is still the case with Bill Belichick, even though there's not this type of star power that's been in New England in the past, what is the best of the Colts in terms of offensively? I know the easy answer is probably Jonathan Taylor, but he's still getting his workload ramped up. If you were to look at this Colts roster and say, yeah, that's the area... Bill Belichick and company are going to try to take away, what would it be? Yeah, I think you'd have to go with either Jonathan Taylor or Michael Pittman Jr. But I think the fact that, you know, one of those players in Pittman is relying on the backup quarterback, I'm expecting the game plan for Belichick to be to just really suffocate the run, to use some of these bare fronts and diamond fronts that the Panthers and Jaguars have used to really stymie the Colts' run game and force Gardner Minshew and the Colts passing him to throw out of it. And that's where you're going to stress some of the pieces that are kind of having to make it go right now. We'll see if Josh Downs could play on the knee injury he suffered or he sort of re-aggravated this past week. If he can't, though, that's sort of the steadiest, uh, you know, like short area target that Gardner Minshew has had. So, you know, that's where it's it it really is hard to see them moving the ball super well throughout the year unless they get, you know, it, it, it all happens kind of through Michael Pittman Jr., uh, at least till whenever Jelani Woods can get back out there. It's, you're trying to find these explosive plays in this offense, and if Belichick's able to sort of, you know, manipulate the math on the front end of the run game to keep that out of out of the playbook for Shane Steichen, it really limits the number of ways that the Colts can really burn them. And so I think that's what he's going to do, and he's going to just force the ball out of Minshew's hands and really stress just other parts of this passing game. It's trying to get on track with a backup quarterback. Like I said, Downs going out is hurt. They're going on the road, the, the jet lag playing at a different time in, in Germany. It's all these things that are hard to work through for a passing game that has not been playing well lately. And so I fully expect that's what Belichick's going to do, especially when you think about the last time that he lost to the Colts back in 2021 was when Jonathan Taylor ran all over him and the Colts completed five passes, but they got away with it because Jonathan Taylor had just a monster performance. I think that game's going to very much kind of stick in his mind, and they're going to find whatever ways they can to try and keep that from happening again. You know what they should do for that jet lag aspect, Nate? They should fly over there, try to sleep, and then get there like at 8 and try to plug through till about 4, take a nap till dinner time, and then about 6, get up, <laughs> do the rest of the day, go to bed early, and the next day they're reset. I'm telling you, it's yeah, a fail-proof plan. You laid it all out for them. If, only they, <laughs> if they can move their practice schedule, I'll be very happy for that too. It is a fail-proof plan. Hey, um... Nate Atkins, uh, the Indy Star, is our guest talking about the Colts. Zach Moss has obviously been, um, you know, at this point he has lived up to 
justify the trade for him, and he has been a good find. But are, are we seeing almost the completion, not necessarily the phase out, but the total handover to Jonathan Taylor, which I understand, are there other ways in which Shane Steichen will try to get Zach Moss involved, or do we now pretty much know exactly where what his role is going to be? I think Jonathan Taylor has definitely taken over the lead spot. It's no longer a split. It shouldn't really be close to a split, uh, partly because they've also got him so involved in the passing game. So uh, he's their most electric runner. He's their best option as a receiver. And, uh, and he's playing better as a pass protector than he did last year. And he's the one who's most fresh, not much wear and tear this season. Doesn't have injuries he's really dealing with where Zach Moss has had uh, the heel and, and the elbow and some other things going on. Uh, so I definitely think that Jonathan Taylor is going to take you know the lion's share of it. But Zach Moss is more, uh, I think he'll be more of sort of a short yardage player. It seems like when they get near the goal line, either way, if they're backed up against their own or, or heading into it, that's when they tend to lean on Zach Moss, maybe just a little bit more stable of, you know, put your head down and get a couple yards and, and try and play through contact and protect the ball. So he's got some of that. I think they'll give him a you know, series here and there, like a, a series every third quarter. I think you could bank on that just to sort of keep Jonathan Taylor a little bit more fresh. But I fully expect this to be Jonathan Taylor's backfield, not only because he's the best back, but because they're in this bind right now. They're trying to find ways to get explosive plays that doesn't result in turnovers. It's what the, the eight turnovers in two weeks really changed their thinking on this. And I think last week you saw them, transition more into a, a pretty safe passing game that was going to lead on Taylor. Of course, the Panthers ended up kind of suffocating it down the stretch, but the idea being that if you hand off to Taylor, you minimize a lot of the turnover risk naturally uh, because it's, you know, it's, it's not the same as throwing the ball. And also, you know, he's the most explosive player that they have in the offense too. So as they're trying to get explosives and they're trying to keep from turning it over. I think they're going to lean more and more on Taylor. The one thing that, they have to, you know, they have to try to avoid here is, is like I mentioned earlier, if, if teams are going to put uh, five defensive linemen down and, and, you know, cover up all of their opportunities to get second level blocks and double teams and all of that, and take Taylor out of it just with the math, uh, that's where they have to adjust a little bit. But I don't. But again, even in those situations, I think what's more likely is that they start using Taylor as a receiver. They like to motion him out out wide that sort of reveals whether the defense is in man or zone and that it helps them even just in other ways, throwing underneath to Josh Downs or Isaiah McKenzie. So I, I fully think Taylor is, is a full-time starter here. And Moss is more here as a, a bit of a change it up, bit of a short yardage back. And then a guy they feel good about if anything were to happen to Taylor and he were to not be able to play. Nate Atkins, Colts beats writer with us here on Query and Company. Nate, when you look at Josh Downs, and what he's meant to this offense, and as we wait the injury report, whether or not his knee injury that I know he had going into the game it was active and then aggravated a little bit within that game against Carolina, if he is forced to miss time, where can the Colts rely upon their passing game to step up? Does it rely on Isaiah McKenzie? Are you needing another leap forward from Alec Pierce? Where does the offense go if Josh Downs has to miss any time? Yeah, it'd be a pretty big loss because he's really been their short area type of player and he's done some down the field too but at least he's a guy that sort of he, he's their guy who can beat man in zone coverage middle of the field short depth of targets that that's kind of where Gardner Minshew likes to operate and uh it's gonna be tough because Isaiah McKenzie 
you know, he's he's built his he's the same height and weight as Josh Downs, but he's more of a guy that you're trying to get the ball in his hands and let him go. He's a little bit more of a little bit more of a gadget player than the type of uh, type of in structure route runner that Josh Downs has become. Uh, kind of a tough guy over the middle, uh, you know, against zones or or just beating man with uh, with his speed. Isaiah McKenzie is, I think, just a lower-volume player naturally. And so I think what they do is they probably just pepper Michael Pittman Jr. even more. And I'd like to see them move Pittman into the slot some more where that works in your run game as that sort of you know oversized slot receiver uh, who's a good blocker. But it also it gives him a chance to catch some of these short passes like they've been doing from the outside, but they can do it some more from the inside, maybe get him the occasional matchup on a linebacker where he – it has the speed advantage as opposed to outside corners. I think that's what they're going to have to do, and maybe a little bit of Kylan Granson. He's played a little bit of that slot role before. He's sort of a you know a little bit like a hybrid slot receiver tight end, uh, but it's going to be difficult. It's it's where they're probably going to lean more on passes to Jonathan Taylor, some of the you know design screens to him or the tight ends, and. Yeah, they're trying to get Alec Pierce involved, and, and they're doing a better job at that the past couple of weeks where it's not just, you know, they're not just doing post and fade routes and comebacks to him. They're using him on a little bit shallower depths of, of, you know, crossing routes and dig routes. So they'll work in a little bit more of that. It's just been a process to get kind of the volume up. But I think losing Josh Downs just makes it very hard to have this be a be a high volume passing attack right now not designed to be anyway but sometimes it had to be based on kind of what's going on with their defense and and some of the turnovers they have to answer to but i think that's where they're they're going to become more and more of a a run first team that tries to do some play action and some uh just kind of cobbling it together while also making michael Pittman you know the most targeted player of all time uh that's kind of how i would expect that to go nate probably hard to know this because it's walked through today you know they're just kind of getting resumed but from an injury standpoint is there any you know it seems like there have always been like say midweek a couple of injuries that pop up that are surprising to us or that lingered from the previous game that we didn't anticipate still being in the mix is there anybody that you're looking at that may be still of question for new england i mean for the new england Uh, game not for the patriots yeah I mean, outside of Josh Downs is the big one to monitor. I'd say it's interesting that Drew Ogletree left that game with a foot injury, and we haven't really gotten an update on him yet. He was listed as doubtful, and it was late in that game, so I'm not sure the severity on that one. That's another loss that would be you know, decently sizable because he's their one two-way tight end who's out there and available right now. Uh, I think those are those are kind of the main ones that I can think of. The other one would be, Zaire Franklin, apparently they thought he was going to play last week. It was late in the week when it, it kind of turned, and they didn't think he had progressed the way that they thought and listed him as doubtful, and then they ruled him out. I would think that the extra week, you know, you'd think that that would be enough to get him back. But, you know, until we see him out on the practice field, uh, that's another one that we have to watch for as well. Nate, is there any significance, or is this common standard operating procedure of Shane Steichen saying the entire team, practice squad included, is making the trip? Uh, my understanding is that's pretty normal. It's certainly normal for road games. You know, the practice squad will go on the road. They'll be on the sideline. They're hard to notice because they're usually they're not in jerseys. They're just kind of in hoodies and whatnot. But they're usually out there. The injured players for road games will be up in the press box. 
that's mostly to keep them away from the game action. Uh, if they, you know, they're dealing with injuries, they can't really get out of the way of someone tumbling into the sidelines as well. But it's uh, it's pretty normal for road games. Uh, obviously, there's a there's an expense element to taking them all on the road for something like Germany. But the thing about it is they'll get the Saturday, and that's when they decide on practice squad call-ups based on their final walkthrough that they'll do over in Germany. And they've got to have those guys available there. They can't be calling them in you know, to fly from you know the U.S. to Germany on a Saturday afternoon for a game that's 9.30 Sunday morning. So they'll have them all over there. And, uh, it'll just be a chance for them to sort of you know make adjustments as they need to with everybody on site. Nate, do you like German food? I love German food. Ooh. I'm big into... Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the sausage, uh, the sausage scene over there. And I hear I heard you talk a little bit about the chocolate. Excuse so me. I, I didn't know there was into there was big on chocolate, but I'm looking to try some of that too. Well, I was in Luxembourg and I bought some German. I bought a chocolate bar, and the guy's like, "Oh, this is the best because it's German chocolate." I'm like, "Okay, sure." And it was it was good, right? Um, now. I'm not a fan of like like slaw and that kind of stuff. Like um, I'm not as big a fan of that. Like the, but the what about the beer itself? Are you a fan of the beer over there? Oh yeah, that's 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 gonna be the highlight for me. <laughs> you know, I think sometimes it's it's room temperature though. Does that bother you? Uh, it's it's not my preference, but if it's good enough, I, you know, I can I can overlook the other parts of it. <laughs> okay, how long are you there? So the the game is on obviously Sunday, right? Yeah, we'll fly in on Thursday. So Thursday, I get there like 8 a.m. on Friday, and then we'll stay through uh, till like 10 a.m. Monday, German time, and then I guess I'll be back here sometime, like sometime Monday night. So really, it's like Friday night into Saturday. All day Saturday is going to be kind of our day to hang around and check out Frankfurt. So call you early Tuesday morning is what you're saying, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Six hour difference, yeah, I think. Six hour time difference. Yeah, or or Monday night, and I'm just like, I'm a night owl normally, but I feel like I'm going to be back here. It'll be 10 p.m., and I'll feel like I'm like 75 years old. Well, actually, coming back, Nate, coming back, I think is easier because you come like when I came back yesterday. You know, you land and basically it's time for bed. So I mean, I was up for 22 hours right on the return, but you come back and you deal with it right and then you go to bed and you wake up and you're, you're pretty much okay a little but i have no idea what day it is as far as i know today is uh friday november 2nd i have no idea what day it is you know what i mean yeah you're probably right on that i'll just be ready to collapse and then you reset the next day <laughs> it's a little weird to think like getting in and i'm gonna be so tired it's like 8 a.m local time there and i don't know where you go for a nap at that time or or like you said i guess i need to power through until like early afternoon and try and figure something out there so i feel like i'm just going to be kind of stumbling in the wilderness that's right you'll be stumbling through whatever you do if you go to amsterdam don't try to to use phone video for in the red light district that's frowned upon i learned that the hard way um all right nate lastly the um i wanted to get reaction to this because you covered him uh, you know obviously when he was here were you surprised, A, that it was this point in the year, and I know it happened yesterday, but surprised that Carson Wentz got the opportunity with the Rams, or were you more surprised that it took this long for somebody to sign him? Uh, it's kind of interesting that it got to this point and he hadn't been signed, and now he does. You know, I figured that we would have had a resolution one way or the other where he was either an option early in the year for a team or earlier in the year for a team that really needed a quarterback like either the uh, – Jets or maybe the Giants or a team like that that had been banking on 
you know, quarterback, uh, a starting quarterback uh, who's out. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's as teams look around, there there's just not a lot of other options. It's a guy that at least you sort of feel like, you know, you, you know who he is from a scouting perspective. The Rams, of course, scouted him a lot back when they were uh, looking at him and Jared Goff. And I remember covering that draft, and they were interested in both at the time. So it may be just an opportunity to, you know, if he's out there and he's you have a chance to get him in here and get a look at him and see where the heck he is at this stage of his career. But, yeah, it's it's, it's always weird for a player that has played a lot who's not yet, you know, he's he's like 31, to just sort of sit until this stage in the year. So uh, it wasn't something I necessarily expected to see. But then again, um, when you look around, there's so many quarterback injuries right now. I feel like like big like veterans going through things that, you know, eventually I think someone's going to have to be interested in them. Nate, enjoy the German food, enjoy the German beer, enjoy the German chocolate, and most importantly, uh, cover the game well, and we look forward to talking to you. Have a safe trip, all right? All right, thanks so much. All right, Nate Atkins of the Indianapolis Star. Um, speaking of things in Europe, I do have another gift for you guys I'll, I'll do in a second here, but I wanted to read this um, as we wrapped up the conversation as well about the Pacers. This from our buddy, kind of the resident moron of the show, Regent Brian. I can say that because I have no idea who he really is. I can say he's a total moron because he lives in total anonymity. Um, but Regent Brian with the following uh, tweets – talking about when we were discussing the Pacers situation. Maybe you should have asked him, Jake, about the Pacers moving to Louisville so you can confirm that you have no idea what you're talking about when it comes to the Pacers. Uh, He later goes on to say, also, no one will ever confuse you for Albert Einstein and lets me know that Indiana has no inheritance tax. How stupid are you? That's right. Do we have that? I do not. He could could ask exactly that. Well, here's the thing, Brian, and I know it might be difficult to understand and grasp living in the region. You're close to Illinois, maybe Illinois, Indiana. It's tough because you're looking at state taxes. Uh, Actually, Brian, state taxes do, from a state standpoint of inheritance tax, are applicable if the inheritor is actually living outside the state of where the actual inheritance takes place. So if, for example, someone lives in California, they have fairly high inheritance state taxes but more notably brian you probably forget about the fact that there is what's called a federal estate tax that's correct the federal government also which is typically a larger percentage collects money on inheritance and a federal inheritance tax is applicable in all 50 states if it's over one million dollars of the inheritance that tax is 40 percent so yes in fact region brian i am albert einstein and i have a decent amount of knowledge of what goes on with the Pacers and as I said very clearly in that conversation there's nothing at this point that indicates that that is on the front or even in discussion for the Pacers but I think all avenues have to be examined because of the business aspect when you're talking about inheritance taxes so I have no further questions but I appreciate the fact that for three straight years you've told me that you're never listening again because I'm a moron and yet you continue to listen and interact with the show i have gifts for you guys real quick here you got time or you want to do it on the other side let's do it on the other side all right we'll do it next whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits long live listening to your favorites learn more about cascali ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if cascali is right for you Certainly appreciate Nate Atkins' time. We wish him well on his travels across the pond. All of you, actually, that are going to see the Colts. I know Derek White 
One of the original employees of Query Company is headed over to Germany as well. So anybody going over, certainly um, it is fabulous. Also, keep in mind, uh, different phone chargers over there. So you need to go and get the universal charger, wall charger. Oh, you're though. talking about the AV, yeah, the, the plug yeah, in yeah, the, the wall. Plug Not the actual different. plug yeah, in your phone, but the part the of the wall. The way that you plug in yep. in the wall is different. Okay, so one week ago today... Uh, right about now, as a matter of fact, because it would be 7.30 there, uh, one of the things that we did in Amsterdam was we did the Heineken experience. I have never been a big – Heineken's fine. I mean, everybody knows of Heineken. Um, but it is obviously the the beer in Amsterdam, uh, just in Holland in general. Um, Amstel Light, I believe, is and Grolsch are also both Dutch. But I didn't realize that Heineken, which is – one of the older breweries in Amsterdam is no longer brewed in Amsterdam. They've it's now brewed outside, and I think Imbev might own it now. But uh, it began like in the mid nineteenth century, and the place where where Heineken began, you can do what's called the Heineken Experience, where you go and you learn about how it's brewed. You don't actually see it being brewed, but you just you know it's 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 a touristy thing, but it is fun to do. And then you get little coupons for free beers and whatever else. Um, and it was fun. So we did that and that was on night one. Now, if you guys question my loyalty and my, my generosity, never have as a, as a, I'm a friendly guy. People tell me all the time I'm folksy, right? Uh, you know, they, they come up to me and they say, you know, you're folksy. That's what I like about you. You just seem like a normal dude. You're a folksy guy, which I am a normal dude. So, so literally <laughs> like. Eight hours after landing in Amsterdam, I bought souvenirs for you guys, and then I had to lug them around the entire time, okay? But this is the kind of guy I am, and this required very specific and, and careful packaging upon return in my, in my checked luggage, and then <laughs> wrapping it in sweaters and everything else. Now, I'm going to have you, Eddie, open yours first. Okay. Um... So this was acquired by me literally one week ago today at almost exactly this hour. I believe I sent you guys pictures as well. Now, at first, it's not going to appear to be much, but then I need you to uh, to describe what you're getting there, Eddie. Well, on the box, it says, bottle your own Heineken. Mm-hmm, that's right, yeah. And it's a glass of Heineken. Okay, and then at the bottom? Oh, wow. Query & Co. CEO. There, there wow. you go. It's a custom-made custom made bottle of Heineken for you, right? I will go put this on my desk. <laughs> there you go. So it's now, right there so everyone here's knows. Here's the problem, though. The problem is, <laughs> the problem is, because I'm a thoughtful guy, I want to make sure that everybody gets their own individualized gift and experience, sure. right? So you bought everybody in the company, including our listeners. That's correct. Bottles. I brought back <laughs> three pallets of Heineken individualized <laughs> bottles. For you, How'd you fit Jimmy, that in your luggage? It, believe you me, okay? Now, Jimmy, you are, your title is? The president. Correct. Yeah. Only problem is when you make these individualized custom-made bottles yeah. of Heineken, president, I ran out of character. So you're Prez. Oh. Are hey. you Prez? P-R-E-Z? What, 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 so here, I'll, I will just present this to Jimmy. I had to go, I had to get creative. And I am creative. And the other thing that I do, I don't know if you guys know this about me or not, but it's one of the things I take pride in that I think only I am aware of. Sure. I'm the master of the segue. I can take any two things, any two topics, and bridge them together to transition from one to the next. It's the only thing that I do well. So when I am having to use synonyms, I come up with synonyms that are applicable to the individual. So yep. that said... By the way, as I'm opening this wonderful box, 
Did you follow the flying home directions that are put there on the? Do they have it on there? Well, it just says store and check it must, bag. Only. It must have it doesn't, worked. Doesn't give you advice. It must have to... worked because the bottle is still intact. And yours says, "Query and Co. Chief." Yeah, see, I like it. So I had to go with obviously the play on words because I couldn't do president. Hey. So you are the chief. I like it because of the Kansas City Chiefs. And I figured if you're wearing the so, for example, <laughs> when your wife finally gets mad at you because you're wearing a Chiefs ring yep. on instead of your wedding ring, you at least have a beer to drown your sorrows. In. Correct. I appreciate that. It's thoughtful of you. So many you layers. That's, that's what many I try layers to do for there, you guys. Right. See now, I can't poo-poo this like I poo-pooed the shrimp chips. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you, you did the shrimp chips. You were not pleased, right? Uh, no. How's the now, donkey chocolate, by the way? Have you? Have I haven't you opened it. Indulged yet? Okay. I haven't indulged yet. I was waiting for all the gifts so I can follow up. Well, the, you're done the tweet with, that you're, was sent Those this are the morning. only gifts that I brought back. So cool. you're welcome. Right. Thank you um, very much. Now, we do thank you. Very we did much. go to a bar in Brussels, Belgium, in the Grand Place, which is the town square of of Brussels that has the city hall that was erected in the 15th century, built in the 15th. The architecture is unbelievable. It was Andrew Luck's dream. Andrew Luck talked about how he liked going to Europe to look at old buildings. I totally understand why. But we're sitting in this bar and having a beer, looking out over the Grand Place, and there were very few Americans in Brussels. It's a kind of a tenuous time to be over there, admittedly. I, I did not in any way, shape, or form ever experience or even witness anything that I thought was... In, you know, of worry or of concern, truth be told. And we were in Luxembourg, which is supposedly the safest country in the world. But in in Brussels, it, you could kind of, you could just kind of feel a tension. I don't know. But we were sitting there and I asked the bartender or the, it was more like a waiter. And I said, hey, what year was this place built? And I kid you not, he goes, uh, I'll have to. Everyone speaks English over there, by the way. And he says, "I'll, I'll have to check." Um, no accent. He had an accent for sure. Where's your? Where is it? Well, I can't <laughs> do the the Flemish you're, accent. You're, you're a man of accents. Come on now. <laughs> well, um, I have to check, but I I believe is uh, is how I say 1690 or 1695. Oh well, can you get more specific? So I'm sitting there and I'm like, so this place where we're sitting and having a beer, and this is not uncommon in Europe, but I mean, is literally, what, 350 years old? Almost 400. I mean, it's, so it's cool. crazy, right? You know, you've been to Europe. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy, I mean, right? we, we've spent a day walking just around Lyon in, in France and like they, they were under siege at one point in time in 70, 1793 and it's like we're walking around in 2016 and it, it's nuts. By the way, a short caveat with that. You'll appreciate this. We were walking around, and I saw two individuals with ball caps on. It was a Pacers hat and a Heat hat. Seriously, yes. in, in Paris, in Lyon. It oh, was, in it, Lyon. It, it, it was. It was crazy. Like you know, I mean, I get potentially why because that would have been Eastern Conference Finals matchups of the previous like two or right. three years. But it was a very shell shocking thing. I do think that uh, for the obvious reasons here of the Pacers and the Colts internationally the Pacers are the one with the bigger brand internationally because of the fact that obviously now we did I was able to get the NFL we were in Luxembourg and I was able to watch the Raiders and Giants game in Lux in our hotel like off it was I think it was French television um in Luxembourg but the NBA is obviously I think bigger internationally than is the NFL soccer is the big sport 
and Jimmy, they have a, a soccer club both in Luxembourg and in, I mean, obviously Belgium would too, but in Amsterdam and Ajax is the name of the team in Amsterdam. Yeah. And I almost got you an Ajax kit, Ooh. if you will. Um, but I Those are usually pretty pricey though. Well, the nice thing about the Ajax one, you know, it's clean. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the, and they, the sizes were all like kid sizes. Yeah. Um, I do wow. have one quick question. Those two kids really are wearing pace <laughs> and a crazy. Hollister shirt. It's crazy. Uh, did you have a waffle when you were in Belgium? Thank you for asking. I did. Because as someone who loves waffles and I love breakfast food, I've always wondered the difference between a okay. Belgian waffle in actual Belgium and here in the United States of America. In Brussels, which we were in a touristy area, as I talked about, that grand place, literally walking the streets smelled like when you walk in you know when you go into an ice cream shop sure. and you smell the waffle cone mm-hmm. that's what the air smells like <laughs> i kid you not because there are so many of the waffle shops um we went into a a restaurant i would i would liken it to the cheesecake factory it had a similar kind of like emporium type feel and the name of it was the drug opera that was the name of the place and i got a belgian waffle they had a million different kinds eddie I just got a standard Belgian waffle, which was a, a waffle with covered in whipped cream. Um, it was very crispy. I don't know if that's true of most waffles, but it was more like crunchy than it was. It was really good. I mean, it was good. Um, dense? What's that? Was it dense? No, I'm thick? pretty smart. Not you. Um, it was flaky. <laughs> like me also, right? It was good, though. And the Belgian beer was fine. You know, Belgium is known for its beer, and it was fine. The, the hidden gem, truthfully, is Luxembourg. I thought Luxembourg was gorgeous. It was, it's the highest per capita in Europe. It is super clean. The people could not have been more friendly. the The public transit is entirely free. Um, it was wonderful. It, Luxembourg was extremely charming. It was extremely charming. Um, but you know, you do feel when you're over there, like I mentioned, it, it's hard to keep up with what's going on here just because of the time difference in general, right? One of the things that I, you know, obviously was keeping up with was the Pacers and. Their game against San Antonio and their just their balance, the overall balance of the Pacers. It's funny. Halliburton has a forty plus, you know, a forty point eleven assist night or whatever it was against the Hornets, and they lose by one. He is a fabulous talent, but it's the nights where his talent is applicable at the end of the game, but over the course of the game, they play with great balance where they are yeah. at their best, to be honest with you. And, you know, we'll see whether or not they can do that. Obviously, tonight, Utah Jazz at the Fieldhouse, and that game tipping tonight. Then tomorrow night, it is Milwaukee, uh, the Bucks. We'll talk about college basketball. We'll do it next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. So today is National Letter of Intent Day, right? Signing day for college basketball? Correct. Now this used to be like the holidays, right? Didn't people used to go gaga over this? Is yes. It not- not as big a thing, or okay. we just have we learned now to be cautiously optimistic about players because you just kind of don't know. Because the best player in college basketball is a guy that when he signed, how many people were at Zach Eady's signing? I think that plays into it. I think also the fact that we're in a world where just because you get a star player to sign doesn't mean that they're going to be there for the entirety of their college or career. They're going to be a star, right? That too. So it, it, I will admit it did sneak up on me a bit this year. I just think that people have become, I'm not saying Indiana fans have, but 
a little more realistic about the whole recruiting thing and just the kind of the crapshoot nature of it, right? I mean, sure, the law of averages, you'd rather have big-time players than not. Um, but, you know, Indiana, I, I do think there's probably some truth to the fact that Indiana at this point is relying a lot on the transfer portal to get big-time players. And obviously in recruiting, they've gotten big-time players. I mean, Abaco was a top-10 player. Um, and, and last night, you know, Khalil Ware – I looks like a guy that is going you know there's a reason he was a top 15 recruit out of Oregon but there's also a reason why he's not still at Oregon and you have to hope that that doesn't rear its head with Indiana um I would argue IU at least in the Mike Woodson era has taken the modern approach to it it's a good balance you're going to still go after star recruits but if they're not there or if you see value in the transfer portal you're not going to be afraid right. to go out and get it that way well I like the way Matt Painter's done it as well um you know Painter getting guys that he has a different style of player I think that he recruits and that has worked well for Purdue and can it can he maintain at this point he still can his recruiting has not dropped off they have a good class coming in you know they got commitment from yet another seven footer I mean obviously if you were a big guy Purdue is a place that you would look at and go hey the track record is really good in terms of what they can do for me to develop my game um and and develop me I mean what Edie has done, just for example, is really impressive. I mean, it's really impressive, right? And just developing – and even Matt Harms, right? Isaac Haas. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the track record there for Matt Painter, it's there. Are we at all certain that the engineering school has not perfected a way to genetically engineer just seven-foot phenoms? Like, are we are we, are we certain on that? Is, is the jury out? Because you're right, it is. It's a revolving door, and, and you tip the cap to Matt Painter on a number of different levels, but especially there. He knows how to find the right big men to fit in his system and grow to the point that they have the chance to dominate in college basketball. You know, one of the things I think Purdue has done well is you talk about the mix, Jimmy, of like the five-star one-and-dones and and like transfer portal and that kind of thing. I think Purdue's done a really good job of, of blending players that are really upper echelon recruits like catchings, you know, and then also mixing in with guys that you know are probably going to be four-year players you know like a Dakota Mathias for example you know those kind of guys that are kind of your dirty work guys I don't know much about Raleigh Burgess for example from Cincinnati but he's not as highly touted as the rest of them per se but you know they they you know he's probably going to be like a three-year guy right which I think is important also the other big news in college basketball today the announcement that and it doesn't affect directly Butler but that Barry Collier mm-hmm. is going to be retiring as the athletic director at Butler, uh, I would be under the assumption. I think that when Thad Mata went to Indiana, when Thad Mata went to Indiana as an associate athletic director under basketball, it's my suspicion, I don't know this, but it's my suspicion that Indiana was perhaps talking to Thad Mata or originally kicking the tires for Thad Mata about coaching. And I think Thad Mata probably said, look, my real goal is to eventually be an athletic director like Barry Collier. And Indiana said, well, then we can give you that experience. Or maybe that conversation didn't even take place. But part of why Thad Mata went to Indiana in an associate athletic director role was to not only assist in the basketball program, but to also learn the inner workings of athletic department 
operations. It was a multi-layered move, right? You totally. don't just go take an associate AD job, even as a program as prestigious as Indiana, when your background has been entirely on the coaching side, unless that area of college athletics has some interest to you. And ultimately, it does lead to him getting back into coaching and being a butler and friend of the show. There's a great interview uh, from WTHR. Dominic Miranda had a sit down with that Mata yesterday. He's talking about where he feels Butler is going to be. There's going to be a different style this year. He's been able to get more of the guys he wants at Butler for how he wants to coach. And he thinks they're going to be a far more fun brand of basketball this season. But I feel like, and Jake, you and I have kind of talked about this off air too. It would be reasonable to think that there would be a conversation had there at the very least of, hey, Thad, is this something that interests you? He has the Butler ties. They're very proud of the Butler way. It would make sense if that's the direction they went. The question is, is that ultimately what that model wants to do at the end of the season? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it, it doesn't it feel like that would be a completely natural transition? Yeah, it does. You know what I mean? Um, and one thing we know about Barry Collier, and it has worked for him, so it's it's certainly the ends have, have justified, you know, the, the approach. One thing we know about Barry Collier has been that it has always been very important for him to hand things down internally and within the family, right? And there's no reason to think that, that again, a million different things could happen, and Barry Collier may not be the one that ultimately makes that decision. I mean, it could be the president of the university or whatever it might be, but one would assume that that, was, that would be what Barry Collier would suggest or recommend, if not someone within the athletic department directly. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Rafael Davis from Big Ten Network will join us at 2.30 to continue the conversation about college basketball. Colts getting set to go, of course, to... Frankfurt, Germany, take on the New England Patriots. I, I had saw, uh, saw, I had seen Jimmy, uh, and I don't know if it was locally that I saw this. Somebody made reference to it, so I, I looked it up. I don't know how credible this is. So you correct me if I'm wrong, man. I've been up a little bit Do, out of the loop. Obviously, are we entering into tinfoil hat territory, credibility wise, or that's a that's a good question. Um, I don't know that I'd say tinfoil hat. Okay, All right. But you tell me how, how that there's there is some discussion that Bill Belichick, you know, he's obviously at the you know getting towards the age anyway where he could be retiring or whatever else. But is is Bill Belichick's job in any way, shape, or form in jeopardy? There, there has been reports in that regard. We had this conversation yesterday. For me, if I'm New England, and this would be a tough ask because if I'm Bill Belichick. To once I've seen the highest of highs that power and sports allows me, why would I accept this? I would want to take away his general manager title. I'd want to bring somebody else in to have the large say on the team. I think Bill Belichick, the coach, is still an incredible talent to this game. I think if the Patriots were foolish enough to go that way, that he'd be plucked up in an instant if that's what he still wants to do. But there's been chatter. You're not. It, it's not totally crazy talk particularly in local New England Boston area media just look on Nesson Patriots reportedly could replace Bill Belichick after Germany game I mean didn't he just sign an extension in the offseason too 
I'd have to check. Hasn't been that long, though. I'm like 100% sure he just signed one, like this year, and it was announced a few weeks ago. I personally think it's just talk. Now, let me ask you guys about another thing that is reported in terms of, like, decline in the National Football League, and you tell me your thoughts on it. All right. This from Pro Football Talk, which right there, sometimes you get some conspiracy, you know, some tinfoil hat stuff. Yeah. Um, the Manning cast numbers are down. The alternate broadcast has been flirting with dropping below $1 million for the first time ever, and the percentage of the total Monday Night Football audience has been down as low as 5.7% this season. Do you guys... Do you guys put any stock at all, like, in... Well, the Manning cast in general, what, how often do you watch it versus the regular... If, if there's a Monday Night game... Which are you watching more? I'll give you the answer first, and then I want to explain. I always watch the Manning cast. I, I, this is, I love Joe Buck. I love Troy Aikman. I think ESPN was smart to go grab them. The Manning cast for me, especially if it's a matchup that I'm not fully enthralled by, I enjoy the guests they have. I enjoy Peyton Eli's reaction to what is happening out there on the field. When they are on, that's what I go to. I always flip to ESPN too, and that's how I watch Monday Night Football, unless... Again, it's a real like marquee game that like I feel like I want to have Troy and Joe, or if my team's playing. Kansas City's playing, we're watching the main cast. But otherwise, it's the Manning broadcast is my feed. Eddie, I am always watching Manning cast. If they're obviously broadcasting the game, if not, then I'll watch Monday Night Football okay. with when Joe. You, and- when you watch the Manning cast, if for some reason you were to change the channel away from it, it would be because they're doing what? In commercial. <laughs> Probably commercial or there's the game's already decided and I want to watch a different game that's on, like NBA, for instance. Nothing based on what they're doing would would make me change. Because this is my thought. I, I think Peyton Manning and Eli Manning have, I mean, obviously an incredible chemistry. They're brothers of one another, right? But part of what makes the Manning cast so appealing, and I think part of in the advent of it what made it so appealing were two things number one i think people love any time that somebody who is as famous and and you know everything is peyton manning people love when there is one person who has the green light to be able to keep that person in check and manning takes it very well right i mean no one dislikes peyton manning other than maybe you know patriots fans but but i just think the dynamic of eli being able to loft jabs or you know they'll have a guest on and they'll be making fun of one another to correct. the guest for instance they had arnold schwarzenegger on on monday night football this past just a couple days ago and there was a new york post article about eli looking like the terminator in the pocket and peyton was like now, Arnold, tell me this. Is that because you think that Eli is soulless or because he is right. able to attack a defense with machine-like precision? Yeah, exactly. Right? I mean, they're, they're, they're so good at that, right? Yep. And like and like Peyton, like, you know, kind of giving himself credit for something and then Eli Manning being like, come on, you know, he's the one person that can bust yeah. Peyton Manning's yeah. chops, okay? But, and I think that people in the beginning loved that. And so, and I think people still do. But I think they get away from that a little bit with the other thing is, and this is true, I think, of so many different shows. When it comes down to it, when it comes down to it with any show, you have to have you have to be interesting. 
I'm not saying I am. I'm not saying that, that we do that. We try. But you have to be interesting because the subject matter, you can get anywhere. And with the Manning cast in the early shows of it, the early games of it, the fact that they've, they're getting on Tom Brady on there and they're getting on, I mean, like absolutely most A-list of A-listers and you're like, holy cow. And oftentimes it was people that were pertinent to what was going on in the sports world at that time. And people want, it was must-see TV because you want to see what those interviews were saying and they would be more honest with Peyton Manning than they would to other people, etc. cetera. I, I feel like now they, they fell into this formula where they have to have like a guest every quarter. And I don't know that they do, Jimmy. I, I think people are perfectly content just watching Peyton and Eli. And, and instead of and so, you know, some of the guests they've had are like completely checked out and aren't talking at all. It's just it's like you're you're trying to watch the game. So I think the guests have hurt them a little bit because those two are interesting enough. Peyton and Eli Manning are relatable and interesting enough and funny enough and have such good insight that I think you could watch with just the two of them and they don't need to have guests just to have guests. And it feels like at this point they started having guests just to have guests and therefore it just kind of became, to a lot of people, the novelty of it kind of wore off. I mean, I don't think that's... A wild take, and I think a lot of people would be happy if it was just Eli and Peyton reacting to what's happening on the field and describing the plays and talking about quarterback reads or what a defensive set is in. But I haven't felt like this year that they have had a guess that there wasn't a clear tie to at least one of the teams that was involved in, unless it was an NFL player. Like they had Trevor Lawrence on in the second quarter of uh, Chargers Jets on Monday Night Football. Now, here's another thing. What you just mentioned. Sure. Let me give you part of the reason why I think the ratings could be down overall. That matchup you just mentioned, Chargers-Jets, right? The two biggest television markets in America, New York versus Los Angeles, even though nobody in LA cares about the Chargers, but for the sake of argument, right? Now, if, Jimmy, you are a fan of the Chiefs, right? If the Chiefs are playing on Monday night, are you watching the primary broadcast or the Manning cast? This is a point of contention in the cookhouse because I go to my brother Bob's house on the south side and Bob makes the meals. Bob's the reason we're chief fans. I defer to him. Okay. If I was on my own, I would probably watch the Manning cast, but I think Bob prefers the shout out to brother Bob. He prefers the traditional broadcast. It's like, all right, I don't care. We'll watch that. I I think that that I'm not going to say I think the majority, I'm not saying it's a lot, but I think the majority of people really enjoy the Manning cast unless it's a game that they have a rooting interest. And in that point, they want the more scientific analysis and traditional broadcast. So if if some of the games this year have featured the larger market cities, those are the games that it is more likely that people in New York and Los Angeles are watching the traditional broadcast as opposed to the Manning cast. And that would yeah. lower their their ratings. To me, it's very similar to like Bill Walton. I know a lot of people who watch Bill Walton when it, when he was with ESPN, and they would have the Pac-12 games, and he would do them. They really enjoyed him. But as soon as he was on the call of one of their favorite teams or colleges, then they couldn't stand him just because they're like, "Hey, I want to hear you break down the game and not all the other tomfoolery that he to, does." To me, with Bill Walton, and, and my understanding is from everything I've ever heard that Bill Walton is one of the most kind, gen- generous. I mean, I've, you know, I've interviewed him a handful of times on radio row, but just in, in the general, in general to the public, that Bill Walton is like just a, a total good dude all the way around. 
But I do think that the Bill Walton broadcast, Eddie, to your point, when Bill Walton first was doing, if you want to call it color commentary, on games and would go off on the Grateful Dead stuff and stuff like that, people loved it because it was so unusual. And it was just like you never knew where he was going, right? And people loved it. But I have always said, when you go out of your way to be unique, you are in fact ordinary. And I think he started, Bill Walton became as much a fan of anybody of the shtick. And so he went out of his way to start becoming like totally cosmic and out there and everything else. And it just, it didn't, it was no longer organic and genuine. And so it was like, is this like by design? And and to your point, there were times, remember when he did an Indiana game, was it was Indiana playing... Who did they play last year? It was a big opponent. Was it Connecticut that they who were they playing last year? And Bill Walton was on the game, and he brought on Bruce Hornsby, mm-hmm. and like he and Bruce Hornsby are talking about music for like fifteen straight minutes, and it's like, hey man, there's like a pretty significant game going. Was on. it Arizona? It wasn't the Arizona game, I don't think. No, because that was Fox Sports. I'm trying to think. I want. Was it not? Did they not play Connecticut last year? Somebody help me out here. Somebody either send me the. I can't remember. But it was a big matchup. Yeah. And so you're watching it, and you're like, "Hey, man, there's actually a game going on that I kind of want to know what's going on." You know what I mean? Like, tell me why you know Indiana's on a twelve nothing run here, or why they're all of a sudden you know whatever, and like, and we're talking about you know we're going off on the wild and crazy, and the 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 guy doing the game is kind of giggling because he's like, "Oh, it's Bill out of control again." It's just after a while, it kind of I think just wears out, right? And people just become overly used to it. Unless you're a, a diehard fan of the setup like I am. And usually the reason I embrace it the most is because it's a late night, Pac-12 after dark, as they say, game. So, I you know it. it's going to be Dave Pash and Bill Walton. And you know what you're signing up for. Not to say it's never tiresome, but like I, there are certain aspects in that setting where I enjoy the havoc. But I understand why a lot of college basketball fans, a lot of sports fans don't. Yeah, I... You're right. I mean, if you're watching, there is some truth to the fact that if you're watching like, you know, Stanford and Cal at 12 o'clock at night, like clearly you're just kind of channel surfing, right? At that point. If Bill Walton's going to try to consume an entire cupcake with a candle that's lit, which he actually did on air, even though I'm there to watch college basketball, it's going to make me chuckle because he's just a, a wild guy, a goofy guy. Was it the Carolina game? In the ACC Big Ten, it wouldn't have been that one, right? This is going to drive me nuts. Surely somebody in the company is able to help you out. Uh, who was it? It's, it's going to drive me absolutely crazy. But, like, you know, you're trying to watch it, and all of a sudden it's like, you know, I'll, I'll never forget <laughs> you know, walking around in San Francisco and, and the likes of Jerry Garcia. And you're like, look, man, like somebody's on a 7 nothing run here. What's going on? Just kind of wore itself out, right? But I was interested now. Also, the World Series ratings were way down. Part of, part of also with television ratings that are difficult is there are so many means of consumption that aren't rated. Last night, I'm in the Philly airport. I'm on. I'm waiting on a delayed flight to Indianapolis in the Philadelphia airport. So most of the people getting on the plane, because it's a direct flight from Philadelphia to Indianapolis, and the vast majority of people that are sitting there, of course, everybody is looking at their phone, right? And can I just throw in, I said this, by the way, on Twitter, I want or X or whatever the hell it's called now, I want to throw this in. The iPhone knows when you're moving different places. Like, you... you 
we drive into Belgium and all of a sudden my phone is like, welcome to Belgium. Like it knows, right? It, it's got tracking. It knows what you're doing, right? Yes. You, you mentioned, you know, you're like, boy, I, I really have a hankering right now for some fries from Red Robin. And like you immediately go to an app and the first thing that pops up is an ad for Red Robin. You're like, holy cow. Can we please get the iPhone or the smartphone in general to have on it some sort of a software that can tell that you are either on an airplane or on a mass transit train, and thus, as a result, it is impossible for you to use the speaker feature on your phone. That's when IU was in the Maui tournament. That's when Bill Walton... Who were they playing? I'm trying to figure out which game it would have been. But it was the Maui Invitational. Was that last year or two years ago? That was two years ago. Okay. In what scenario are you being prompted to use speakerphone on mass transit? There was a guy, uh, let me tell you something. Oh, it wasn't you, somebody else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, first off, on my flight, it was my flight from here to Philly, so it was not from Philly to Amsterdam, thank goodness. My flight from here to Philly, the guy in front of me was watching like a movie on his phone with no headphones, just on speakerphone. (laughs) And, and don't even get me – and I get it. I mean, if you have young children and the iPad to, to entertain them, I mean, I get it, right? But can, just can you put headphones on them? I don't need to be hearing like Dora the Explorer for 20 minutes while I'm trying to eat. I'm right? not absolving that guy, but you fly a lot. Surely you have noise-canceling headphones, right? Like, I'm not I'm not absolving him, but that's how I fight it. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to let dumb people ruin my trip. I mean, I, I use, I use good. whatever the the – I always forget what they're called. The, the head, the AirPods, AirPods. I use AirPods. I mean, that'll, that's else. fine. Sure. I mean, I use but these. I'm, like, but I'm telling you, too big, too cumbersome. All right. I use Stanford. That's what the game was. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Trace Jackson Davis had 31. In yeah, that that's one. what it was. And like, we didn't hear a thing about why he was playing well, right? <laughs> I mean, we didn't. You know, it was like I'd love to hear more about this, but yeah. instead, let's hear more about Bruce Hornsby playing in Jersey Grove in seven, you know, in '79. <laughs> um, and I like Bruce Hornsby, but at any rate. Um, now I, I forget where I was even going. You were upset about the speakerphone guy. Uh, the speakerphone guy, but 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 before, oh, Man so everyone cast. in everyone in the airport is watching the Indiana game. Like you had all these people were all waiting for the in, to fly to Indianapolis, and several people are looking at their phone, streaming the Indiana Florida Gulf Coast game from last night. Well, that that means that you have all those people watching it, but none of them are registering as viewers. Right, it's a separate streaming number. It's not the same Nielsen data that Correct. some people are still using. Yeah, you know, maybe they're starting to incorporate more Correct. of that. Yeah, but like we really can't get into ratings on this show. I do respect the FCC's policy on how uh, talking about ratings, but not everybody who's hearing my voice right now is hearing it in a stream or excuse me in a in a measuring area. Yeah. that allows me to get credit for the fact that they're listening to me. I mean, there's only like 18 people listening right now anyway, but you know what I mean? Well, and it didn't help with the Manning cast either, and this isn't the entire reason, but with the writer's strike going on, they added another area where you can watch games, and so ABC and ESPN are two options for you on top of ESPN, too. I wouldn't give that as a blanket blessing to the Manning cast for the entire year, but I don't know. I never... All I care about is the bottom line the ESPN is apparently sending out when you get to those quarterly marks... Ratings are like ratings dip all the time. Like I, I don't know how much weight to really put into that until action is taken. I, I, I think part of here's the thing: when we look at the television rating numbers, like I know people got super excited when the NFL numbers dipped a number of years ago, you know, because the, the league was too woke or whatever it right. was, right? And, and I think that that's applicable until you look at okay, does is it 
Is that an anomaly within the regular structure of television viewing and the recorded data thereof across the board? And the reality is that the numbers were down everywhere. So you can't say within the control that there was one specific thing with one particular entity exactly, yeah. that was causing a decrease because the decrease was happening across the board. The decrease was happening partially because people were cutting the cord and watching in metrics that were not able or watching in in areas that were not able to be applied to the metrics and as a result of that they became invisible additionally right? i wonder how many people out there or are, are using an illegal streaming service bootlegging it or pirating or whatever term you right. want to use because right. those numbers aren't factored in i don't either. know if you know this or not but i saw an interesting thing yesterday along that line eddie uh they now estimate that 117 people in the united states have a netflix account did you know that <laughs> that's big yeah 117 glad people. the password crack i'm worked. one of those 117 people <laughs> and, and here's the thing eddie there are f- there are 54 people using your account right <laughs> yeah it seems like it you went you went into a panera and you put on turned on your hotspot, and before you know it everybody was watching as eddie g on <laughs> now but but the, again the World Series numbers were way down, right? Way down. And part of that is because of the teams playing. Sure. For you sure. saw that coming a mile away. Correct. But part of that also was because there there were some people who were watching it. And, and now the World Series would probably be less applicable because the audience in typical of the World Series is older. So you don't have as many young people watching that. But like, for example, if someone were to say like English Premier League ratings are not growing exponentially, which they are, but 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 you have to take into even greater consideration of that because of the number of people in your guys' age demographic yeah. that have no idea what cable television is. You're watching everything on your iPad or on your iPhone or on your, you know or, or on your YouTube Who knows, television. Maybe Jimmy's you know? watch. Or on Jimmy's watch, that's correct. <laughs> his his new like iPhone Watch 21 or whatever. I don't upgrade the watch. I don't upgrade the watch. I'm just, you know, just for the record, I understand. You don't upgrade the watch? Yeah. Okay. Is it noise canceling? <laughs> I don't think the watch is noise canceling. No, but I did do a weird update software wise the other day where it took me a while. I often lose the phone because, you know, I'm 95. And so I need to press the little to find it. And it used to be in one spot. Now, now it's like a couple now, extra you buttons. You just did press. that and it was your watch that beeped. That was my phone. Oh, it was? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Now, so that means that your phone is right next to your watch. So what? Why? Why would you? Possibly... I was showing it as an example for the audience. Well, I, I know, but people like if you've got, you know, my argument all the time. Your phone is right next to your watch. So why do you have to look at your watch? Your phone is well. It saves me from having to look down at my phone. It's it's three inches away from your wrist. <laughs> How hard is that? Uh, Rayfell Davis, by the way, is with Big Ten Network. We'll talk a little college hoops with him next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. So Purdue, you know, it's hard to say, Jimmy. I mean, you could certainly make the case, and I'm speaking in generics here. Oh, man, Purdue's off to an unbelievable start, the, you know, the, the getting a 50-point win and Indiana struggled against Florida Gulf Coast. and The one thing we don't know, to be fair to both teams, we have no idea at this point the caliber or the strategy of what they're playing against. Does that make sense? In other words, I, you, you know, you have no idea in, in this early in the year what sort of rotations, what sort of consistency you're going up against. In other words, you could play a team in November – and, you know, I mean, I'm going to go back a billion years ago. But I remember Indiana opening the year with UCLA and getting throttled 
I mean, in getting absolutely embarrassed. And then in the Elite Eight, blowing UCLA absolutely off the floor. Well, how does that happen? Well, I don't know. I mean, could it be that at the beginning of the year, Indiana was, you know, UCLA was going with a consistent rotation. Indiana was still experimenting with what was going to work. They weren't as worried about that game. You know, there's, it, it's impossible to know. And, and Rafael Davis of the Big Ten Network is somebody who played at Purdue would be able to opine on this. So I'll begin with that question. Um, and thanks for joining us, Rafael. I, I was just getting ready to say, like, this time of year, it, sometimes it can be hard – to truly analyze teams because you just don't know the stability of rosters in terms of which coaches have solid rosters, which are experimenting still and trying to find things out. As a player, did you have a much better idea, like in say, as the year went on, of, of what you were going up against? And is this time of year still kind of that experimental stage? Well, I mean, I mean, you see it from some teams that have new, newer teams with a lot of new faces. I can remember going through that. In the 2015, 20, I mean 2014, 2015 season, we had five new freshmen and the transfers, so six new faces, only three returning guys. I really gave minutes, so that was a big transition. But outside of that, I mean, you go through all your stuff in the summer. I think early on, it's mostly about playing, playing the right way. I mean, doing your schemes that you learned in the summer the right way, playing hard, getting the 50-50 balls, being a cohesive group and doing things the right way. I think um, the team chemistry grows as the team grows. But I think early on, I think the details of the game matters the most. Rafael, I'll try to not have my IU hat on too tight with this because I know that they are a, a team that has a lot of new faces and lost 60% of their scoring from a year ago. So there's going to be some growing pains for certain, but I feel like they have a pretty good club. When you look at Pat Chambers in year two with Florida Gulf Coast, top four scores back from a year ago, did that game challenge Indiana in the way you thought it would in terms of what Florida Gulf Coast is and where their expectations are this year? I mean, if we're being fair as well, I mean, you think about Florida Gulf Coast, Isaiah Thompson didn't play in that game, and that's their leading, their returning leading scorer. So I think Indiana struggled in that first half defensively and just having um, – I think in that first half it just looked – I mean, just to not to be harsh on Indiana or anything, but – they just look uninspired, similar to what Michigan State looked in their first half. Just uninspired, uninspired basketball, um, not being in the right place defensively, uh, not moving the basketball. They didn't get out in transition at all, which is really, which should really be kind of what their go-to this season. But I don't. I think that second half they really picked it up on both ends. I think Gabe Cups. I think Gabe Cups gave an effort and the energy down the stretch of the game that really helped get those guys over the hump. But I think that's why Coach Woodson went with him at the end of the game because in games like that. When you have guys that – and you may be playing a mid-major team, but those guys weren't scared. I mean, you think of Dalian Johnson played at Penn State, knows what's going on. He's not scared to come in Assembly Hall and have a good game. So, I think that showed. But I think down the end, you start to see the guys play hard and come together. Now, I got. are you at the grocery store, by the way? Which I, I appreciate. <laughs> no, I am. I, I actually, my date was messed up. My wife flew in and uh, she, was, she flew in late. And then now uh, the baby got sick, so – the day's been thrown off a little bit, but I'm making it happen. I, I'm curious, are you going the self-checkout line, or are you going with the the main line? You know what? I had more than 10 items, so I had to get out of the small line. That's what makes okay. it I'm, can I, I'm going to guess the next line. item scanned. I'm going to go with salad dressing. What's your guess, Jim? No, wait a minute. No, I take that back. You mentioned the baby. Um, 
I'm not going to go with formula yet. The diapers would maybe be at the bottom of the cart. I'm going to stick with salad dressing. Jimmy, your guess? I'm going to go with uh, condiment. We'll go ketchup. Eddie, well, that's basically what uh, salad dressing crazy. is. Crazy. You should have you should have stayed with the baby because it was milk. Oh <laughs> man! All right, fair <laughs> enough. Hey, um, so no, I'm out now, so it's all good. You know, you mentioned Gabe Cups, and I'm curious of this. Indiana's got some guys that are obviously all teams do. You know, you have a mix of guys that are clearly your five star, probably one and done level players, and then guys right. that are you know f- four year guys, which Gabe Cups presumably would be. You were right. a great player, I felt. Did you ever find yourself elevated? Did you ever find yourself where there was a guy on your roster that you knew you were more talented than, but his level of focus and practice was such that he elevated your game, even though he might not have been the level of player you were, but just based on his effort, it became contagious? Oh, man, I can uh, give you a perfect example. My freshman year, I come into Purdue thinking I'm hot stuff. I averaged 20, 25 points, 30 points in high school. I'm a top 100 player. And then not halfway through the season, Drew Anthrop, who was a former walk-on that earned a scholarship, but just because he played hard or whatnot, but still, still kind of in practice looked at as a walk-on in sense and substances, but he took my spot. He took my minutes. And that was something uh, that was a hard pill to swallow, but it also showed me what it meant to be on the floor, showed me how to play hard, showed me what mattered to coach. And then Drew ended up becoming one of my favorite teammates. He really showed me the rope, so... That would be my example. Your biggest, I guess, area of question, we'll do both schools here for the Big Ten locally, we'll right. begin with Purdue. Right. Your biggest question mark about Purdue heading into the year is? Athleticism. My biggest question mark would have been, how can they um, fare in a tournament? I think in the tournament, I think Big Ten teams have lacked athleticism in the past. I think you think about the teams that they've lost to, even uh, getting up and down the floor has been a problem. Competing at the rim has been a problem. I mean, getting out, getting to the rim off the dribble, because you think about Purdue, you think about last season, and their offense was good, but it was a lot of um, catch the ball on perimeter, look right away for Zach Eady. Don't do nothing else. <laughs> look for Zach Eady. And I know that's not how Coach – Coach Painter isn't that way, but when you play with such a dominant big like an A.J. Hammonds or an Isaac Haas or a Caleb Swanigan, a Zach Eady, that's just your first instinct is to get the best player to basketball. And I think what they did in that first game the other night was they just caught it and shot it. Too many times last season, Purdue passed up shots. You think of Ethan Morton passing up shots. I mean, he was catching and firing. Brandon Smith, Fletcher Lawyer, go 8 for 11 from three. They're not even hesitating. Brandon Smith is playing extremely confident off of the dribble, making plays off of a ball screen. They're running more ball screen sets. So, And then also what Lance Jones brings is just a – uh, added quickness, uh, added, athlete, uh, added athlete. They're playing kind of a, a two-guard lineup. So with Purdue, Lance Jones is able to allow Fletcher Lawyer to be a shooter. You don't have to break guys down off the dribble. You come off screens, you make open shots, and then defensively, now Fletcher Lawyer, he doesn't have to guard the best perimeter guy or even one of those quicker guards. You could just put Lance Jones on him. And that helps him there, but then also Lance will help with Braden Smith he doesn't have to handle the ball all the time. He doesn't have to be the one-man press breaker. Now you have two guys that are comfortable with the balls in their hands, and then Cam Heidi and Miles Coburn bring athleticism in the open floor. That's kind of my thing with Purdue is being more athletic, having a faster tempo, and then the guards being more comfortable. And then for Indiana, it's just with all these new faces, 10 new guys, is how quick can you turn into a cohesive group? My biggest question for Indiana is that um, – McKenzie and Baco has to play well. He has to score. 
Like it's for Indiana to be where they want to be, he's got to be the five star freshman that they thought that they that they got. And they and believe so he's hard. an elite level shooter, right? I mean, does isn't he a guy, yeah. especially in the mid range, that should be able to get shots? And he will. And the thing is that I try to tell people all the time about freshmen. If you look at Michigan State, Xavier Booker, Cohen Carr, and those dudes, I haven't seen a guy come in as a freshman and really dominate the floor, affect winning, actually not just score points. I mean, actually affect winning would be since D'Angelo Russell. I mean, he came in and he took Ohio State and they, they were winning. I don't know if they – they were close to making – I know they were on a bubble. I believe they made the tournament. Maybe not, but they were competing. It takes a lot. He was the number two draft pick. So it's really tough for a freshman to come in, have the ball in their hands, and make the right plays, make the right reads. He played more as an athlete in high school. He was more of a catch live, shoot open jumpers, use his athleticism, and now he's having to read screens, find his spots. He doesn't have the ball in his hands a lot. So it's a it's a bunch for a freshman. You see Malachi Brandon, he didn't get until halfway through the year a couple of years ago at Ohio State. Bryce Sissaball, he scored a lot of points, but Ohio State didn't win any games. So I think if you really want to affect winning and you really want to have that freshman, it's just all about the growth process. And Xavier Johnson, Trey Galloway, and Malik Renew, they've got to be strong. Those three can't really have bad games. I'm not asking for 15-plus points, but those three have got to be consistent with the effort, the energy, their leadership, being out of transition, making the right plays. Malik Renew has got to be simple on the block. He's got to produce. In that first half, they struggled. But in the second half of the game last night, they go for 31 points. They've got to be a consistent bunch to allow uh, McKenzie and Baco to grow throughout the season because it's, it's tough for a guy to, to get it after which one game. Former Purdue star Rafael Davis now with the Big Ten Network is our guest. I want to go back to talking about Purdue at that spot when you're talking about, because it's a perfect segue, just when you're talking about freshmen getting in rhythm and learning you know, spots, I thought last year Fletcher Lawyer – Start out. He had a great year for a freshman. We got to remember that he was a freshman. Right. But by the end of the year, in particular, once people started defending him aggressively, kind of saw the book on him, and were able to get players with length on him, he kind of hit that freshman wall. Is that right. more about? Do you offset that more by him? You know, basically changing his body, or does schematically Purdue have to come up with different ways to get him looks, especially late in the year? Well, now you don't put your quickest, your most athletic guy on Fletcher Lawyer. You put him on Lance Jones. Because if you don't, Lance Jones is going to go around your, th- your third perimeter guy, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? So now your athletic wing, your guy that can play defense, that can take away your wing, he guards Lance Jones. Because if Lance Jones is a guy that scored 1,500 points in his career. He's made over 200 threes. He can break you down off the dribble. So I think the matchups change a little bit. I think sometimes teams last season – you could get away with maybe hiding a guy on Ethan Morton. You know what I mean? But Lance Jones is in attack mode all game long. You can't hide a guy on him. So I think that changes. I think now they have another ball handler that can make that can make plays for others, like a Lance Jones that can break somebody down off the dribble, that can get in the lane. I think Fletcher at times last season, he was dependent to do that as well. It was either he or Brandon Smith. They didn't have another guy that could break guys down. And that's just not who Fletcher is offensively. That's just not his game, never has been. He's been a shooter, a dead-eye shooter. I think this year he's going to be back to that comfortable spot. I think he's going to be surprised at some of the, how open he is at times. So I think uh, I think it's going to be a more natural shooter role for him. And he won't have to defend the one of the quick guards, one of the small guards. I think that's going to help him, too, keep his legs. With early announcements and the transfer portal being such a key part of developing teams in college basketball in today's game, has National Signing Day lost some of its cachet in terms of being just a, a hype 
full of energy day, or is it still the same as it ever was? I mean, if I'm being if I'm being honest, man, I just I think it started to lose the scene when I was in high school. I don't think we put that much effort in it when I I mean I signed to Purdue. I mean, we didn't. It wasn't that big of a deal. So I don't know. Um, I think that's more of a fan thing. I think fans may be worried about other stuff now, but I think as players, as universities, I think it's kind of just the same thing. You just sign. You just sign a piece of paper. It's not that. Um, I don't think the players take it as that big of a deal unless you're making it. A, unless you're making a commitment. You know what I mean? Unless you're making an announcement. But if you're just signing your letter of intent, I don't know. There's not no surprises with that. Do you like Purdue's class that they signed today? Yeah, I like it. I like their class. I think it's really well. I think it's athletic. I think they um, I think they have enough guys that it was, that play a lot of that play a lot of different positions, a lot of different positions that um, that they play a lot of different positions, and I think they have size, they have athleticism, and they got a group of guys that are going to come in that are going to be hungry. I think they got the right guys. I think now in college basketball, especially recruiting, you can get you can get guys that may not be coming to your university for the right reason. And I think with paint, I think paint gives guys that are coming to Purdue to play ball, coming to Purdue to work hard, but also coming to Purdue for education. So then you don't necessarily have to worry about transfer portal or is a guy happy because you know they're there. They're there to play ball, but they're also there because of the education side of it. Right, Fowl, we appreciate the time and uh, certainly get the milk on. The good news is you're going to be able to, to get the milk when you get home, right? You're not in trouble. I appreciate that, right? Oh, no, I got all my errands done. My wife is going to be a proud, happy woman. There you go, man. <laughs> da- dad and husband oh, of the year right. right there. Hey, man, we appreciate it. All right, no doubt. You guys have a good one. All right, you too. Again, Purdue's class, by the way, he's talking about, and he's right in terms of the versatility. Jack Benter out of Brownstown, uh, a 6'5 guard. And then you want size. They managed to get that taken care of because they get a 7'3 player, obviously, out of Florida. Canaan Catchings at 6'9, so you got a wing there. Um, and then they had a point guard as well. All of these, by the way, C.J. Cox, who's a guard out of Lexington, Massachusetts in the Milton Academy. Um, Daniel Jacobson, seven foot three, out of Chicago, who's at Brewster Academy. Sorry, I said Florida. Brewster Academy. So they've got you know, multiple areas and a really good class so far that's ranked, I believe, in the top 10 nationally. But as he was saying, I, you, know, you just never know. You hope it works out, but I like the fact that there is some versatility amongst the class. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to shrug your shoulders at that, especially if you're team building and looking out year over year. If you're Purdue, like you mentioned, a top 10 class for 2024, and you're a national contender going into this season, as you were a year ago. Uh, we'll come back. We're not going to put a bow tie on it. Apparently, it's just a tie on it. A, no, a bow. Just a bow, right? Yeah. A ribbon. Anyway. Silly string. We're going to treat the show like an old oak tree and, and tie one around it. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. Today's Plays of the Day, a mix of college basketball and the NBA. We had this yesterday, but... I just can't read. Uh, Lay six and a half for Florida Atlantic against Loyola of Chicago. That was one of the matchups that was jumbled up on DraftKings. Thought it was yesterday. It is today. We'll stay the same there with the Owls. In the NBA, over 35 and a half points plus assists for Tyrese Halliburton. Miles Turner, over 16 and a half total points. Tyrese Halliburton to lead all scores tonight. And then the 
Victor Wembanyama party train is headed to MSG for the first time. I'll take over 19 and a half total points for Victor Wembanyama this evening. Eddie, do you have anything? Yeah, I'll take under on the Victor. I'm just kidding. Uh, no, I don't have anything, <laughs> okay. right. unfortunately. Should we make wagers on whether or not my rental car situation gets resolved? How about that there? Look at Eddie playing the hits. I don't feel good about it. I don't either. At this stage, I don't feel good about it. You had evidence, and you were there to try to resolve it Dude, at like those destinations. Yeah. I don't feel good. JMV's uh, just walked Did in. Did you rent a Renault Lacar? You know what? I had actually signed up to rent a Fiat. <laughs> cool. Because that was the least expensive. And the lady said, and I quote, um, your, your wife too classy. You need Lexus. And she gave me a Lexus. Little did I know it was a Lexus that, and she, yeah. it says on the sheet, it had four scratches oh, you got, on it. Got, you got got by the international that's it. Uh, that's it. car company and not to I be named. And then I take it to Luxembourg and they say, oh, well, this has scratches <laughs> on it. You owe us 700 euros. Oh, well, how much is that? Like 800 and something. Well, no, it was, I'm sorry, it was 550 euro. It's like six something. That is tinfoil hat territory. She got a cut. She got she got she got a cut of the no, so did uh, the car the apparently. <laughs> John's got a cut in the arm. What happened? Did you like the align? Do you like Renault? Did you like the Lacar? <laughs> Mac Engel had a Lacar. <laughs> it was the it was the car and driver car of the year in like 1983 or something it like that. It was Renault Alliance and Renault Lacar. That's right. What were the other Renaults? Is that it? Um, boy, well, I don't I'm remember. from Southern Indiana. It was Renault. Who's <laughs> driving the Renault? Of course. I had a friend that had. Um, I had a friend that had an Eagle. It was an American. Oh, that's AMC. And AMC Spirit also. And was the a, Pacer. Yeah, and the Pacer. Uh-huh. The Pacer well. was awesome. Like the back of it, you basically were driving around in like a, a greenhouse. <laughs> Did right? you know that the Pacer, once upon a time, came in blue jean upholstery? That is awesome. Blue jean upholstery. I'll bet I'll bet that was fun on a rainy day. <laughs> How about your little he and she in that thing? I'd like a half a tank and a bottle your, of gold bond, please. Back in there. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I went to QC Kinetics. They took a little blood out of my arm and then shook it up and reinserted it into my knees. Okay, so well. I'm going to get my four-inch vertical back. Then the, the shots will be flying, right? Oh, man. From three-point I feel range. great right now. Thank you guys at QC Kinetics, too. Well, I'll tell you what. You're going to sound great for the next couple of hours, so hope people stick around. John's up Thank next. Thank you, buddy.